Hey, how's it going, everybody? Good evening. Good evening. Hope you're doing well. It is the 28th of April 2021. Let me know if you can hear me coming through loud and occasionally clear. Stefan Molyneux, freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show. Really, really appreciate that. Ah, we don't need no stinking earpiece for the beginning. And uh, yeah, good evening, good evening. How's everyone doing? We are going to be talking about the ladies. <laughs> the ladies. Hello from Quebec. Bonjour. Ah, uh, bonjour. And uh, yeah, how, how's life in Quebec these days? Um, how do you say police state en français? Well, um, I believe the answer is, you say it, Quebec. New Jersey. Uh, sorry, you've got that uh, spelt wrong. New Jersey. 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 And how are you guys all doing this evening? Are you tired of COVID? Tired of lockdowns? Tired of lockdowns. You know, just before we get into the ladies, I was going to say it that way, ladies. <laughs> but um, do you know people love this lockdown? Do you, want, you want to know something? I mean, it's really sad. Like people... They love the shit out of this lockdown stuff. They just love it. And I can sort of understand why. If you're a loser, and I don't like that word in general, but the modern world kind of compels me to use it. But if you're like a loser and you've got nothing going on in your life, you've got no future, then the pandemic gives you a sense of drama. It gives you a sense of uh, being virtuous by doing nothing, right? You always know a sophist is working you over like a steamer over a cheap suit. You always know a sophist is working you over when they give you the ability to feel moral without ever being in danger. To, to be moral without ever being in danger. That's when you know, like you are in the grip, the soggy, foggy, treacle, porridge-fingered grip of sophistry. So, you know, if you say, I'm anti-racist. It's like, okay, well, um, it's, I mean, we know. It just means anti-white. But let's say you say, I'm anti-racist. Are you ever in any danger for that? No, but you get to feel like you're a good person, right? Or if you say, you know, there's a disparity of women at the CEO level. What's up with that? That should be made equal. Well, you're never going to get in any particular trouble over that, as opposed to someone like James Damore, who I had on the show when he was uh, canned like Tuna from Google, for pointing out that there are, yeah, a couple of differences uh, between men and women, not least of which is women have babies and, and breastfeed, you know, a lot of minor interference uh, in, in the forward trajectory. And it's the same thing, too. To be good is to be in danger, right? To, to be good is to be hunted. To be virtuous is to be in danger. Now, everybody loves the feeling you get from being good and Trust me, there's a reason I come back week after week because it's a good feeling to do good. But it comes with some price tags. It comes with some serious price sticker shock at times. And sometimes the sticker shock is lower than you think. And sometimes the sticker shock is way higher than you think. But there's always a price to be paid. In the same way, like everybody loves having some muscles and, and abs and 2% body fat. Everybody loves that. But, you know, there's a price tag involved, which is... You have to be gay. <laughs> it's body shaming. Is is everybody who dates white men uh, is neurotic about their body? Anyway, so yeah, I mean, I, I knew a guy once who was a Calvin Klein model, and he was telling me 
uh, just how he would do these shoots and he'd be like, oh, I'm so, I was so thirsty because I hadn't had a drink in two days because I couldn't have any liquid in my body, right? Good Lord. So everybody wants these things. Everybody wants to have some money, but a lot of people, they don't want to necessarily do the risk and the work and the sleepless nights to, to go around making money. Everybody wants to be the boss, but nobody wants to pay the price to be the boss. Everybody wants to be good. Nobody wants to pay any price to be good. It's totally understandable. And I don't mind the fact that people want something for nothing. That's kind of why we have a civilization. You know, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to rub two sticks together every time we wanted to light a cigarette? Oh, look, a lighter, whatever, right? Wouldn't it be great if we didn't have to get up to change the channel all the time? Um, I remember as a kid, we had this uh, 13 channels. It was a dial. You go, duk, 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 duk. And I would be like, oh, I want to go from channel one to channel nine. My brother would go, man, it's too fast, too fast, slow down. <laughs> anyway, I never slow down, baby. I never slow down, except for school zones. So I think people love the lockdown because you get to feel like you're a pig wallowing in the syrupy shit of virtue by just not having a life. <laughs> it's like, well, I already didn't have a life before and it made me feel like shit. Now I don't have a life and I'm saving the world. <laughs> and it's just really addictive for people that way. It's really addictive for people that being a loser with no life, now you're saving the world. And of course, if you're a bully, go, you always need an excuse to bully people. You just don't bully them for no reason. That usually ends around middle school. But, and by the way, I want to know, did you guys ever bullied? Hit me with a why, if you were ever bullied. Nick Fuentes added to the no-fly list. Yes. Um, I would assume, though, that's because some of the people on January the 6th, as far as I understand it from what I've heard, I don't have proof, but as far as I have understand it from what I heard, some of the people associated with January the 6th capital stuff uh, had some connection with him, and that may have something to do with that. So, you've been bullied? Yeah, yeah. Oh, a lot of whys here. Good. Now I know how to get your donations out of you. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. So do you know, I was bullied in school, not sure why. Do you know that there are literally people who've, who've been home for like 14 months, basically? Like they've been in their houses or not so much in their house, in their condos. Like it's one thing if you live in a house, at least you have a backyard or whatever, right? But if you're in a condo, man, you are sealed in that hamster cage. You are sealed in that shoebox, man. A lot of people there is um, a, a lot of people just being literally locked in their houses, not seeing people locked in their condos, not seeing people for like 14 months or a, a year or whatever, right? Absolutely crazy. So yeah, you guys been bullied a lot, right? Can you give me a one to 10 on how bad it was? Like one just being some mild verbal harassment and 10 being like terrified to go to school for fear of your life. I have missed not one day of work during this pand pandemic. Well, <laughs> Me either. Me either for that. Oh, I'm sorry, Julie. That's a seven. A ten. Ouch. Jeez. Oh, my God. Seven. Nine point six. Seven. Four. Where's our 69 guy? Ten, ten, ten. One, four, eight. Oh, man. That's rough. Oh, that's rough. I'm sorry about that. Could we get a link for Telegram? Uh, I'm not going to do any audio just yet, but yeah. Oh, my gosh. You know, we'll do we'll do a whole show on bullying. I, I'm really uh, quite fascinated by it. There's our 69 guy. He's been bullied 69. Hang on. Excuse me, rare philosophy sneeze. Five, but I bullied back. I guess I was only bullied twice. I was only bullied twice. Outside of the home, inside of the home, nonstop. But but outside the home, 
Oh, there used to be a bowling alley in Don Mills. I would go there sometimes. I like to play that game Defender, which is basically having a burlap sack of murder hornets uh, put over your head and you have to chew your way out. It was a fantastic, fun, insane game. And anyway, I was doing really well in the game. And some guy my age, I was maybe 12 or whatever, some guy my age was, uh, he unplugged the machine. And I, like I called him a jerk or something like that. Uh, I didn't push him or hit him or anything like that. But anyway, so it turns out he's got, he had this big, mean old psycho brother, older psycho brother, who, you know, apparently he said, this guy bullied me and, and pushed me or something like that. So this older guy, uh, David, his name was, had, I even remember his last name still, like God, 45 years later, or 40, uh, 43 years later. And this guy was like, you're dead, man. And and he was going to get me. Now, this was like, I was 12. This other guy was like, he was just finishing high school. So he'd be like, I don't know, 18, 17 or 18 or something like that. And there's no, like, there's no comparison. You can't, I mean, it's ridiculous. I was just starting to get into puberty. And this guy was like as big as a tree, right? And there was no no contest. And um, yeah, it was, it was scary to go to school. It was scary to go to school because you can't fight the guy. I, I couldn't possibly fight. There was not even anything close, right? I couldn't possibly fight the guy. I mean, it would be an adult fighting a, a literal child, like a 12-year-old. And I remember going up the stairs in school. You know, you got the streams like fish going up and down the waterfall. You got streams. And he was coming down the stairs. I was going up the stairs, and he thumped me in the shoulder. And he said, you're dead. I'm going to get you or whatever it was, right? And I said, I, I didn't hit your brother. <laughs> And it's your brother, man. Anyway, so I just kind of, you know, you do that hunt and duck, right? You just hunt, you're just scanning all the round all the time, and uh, nothing happened. I mean, I guess he forgot, or or I don't know, but but nothing ever happened, and that was the only time. And then I'm, yeah. I used to go down with my friend Jamie, who was smaller than me. And a couple of months later, I don't think I was even 13 yet, but we used to go down into the Don Valley because we were broke, we had no money, right? And so we would go down, uh, maybe we'd have a tin of beans, we'd open it up, uh, you know, we'd make a little fire, we'd, we'd have some food, and we'd sit and chat, and, you know, it was just kind of cool roaming around the woods and stuff like that, and it was free. So we were down in the woods, and we were walking along, and these two guys who were 17, uh, long story short, they kind of ordered us to stop, they wouldn't let us go, they threatened us, and they made us build a fire since we had the implements, and... Uh, it just kind of dragged on for maybe an hour or so, which, you know, feels like a long time when you're kind of trapped by these older kids. And of course, you hope that someone else is going to come along. I mean, eventually they let us go. The only thing that was memorable that happened was, um, I mean, so they uh, made my friend cry. He was short, shorter than me, uh, a little overweight. I mean, not su super, he was a hockey player, so he wasn't like fat, fat, but he was, you know, husky. And like a lot of kids are when they're just about to hit puberty. And I remember they called him a sucky fag and he cried. And I just, I felt such a wave of visceral contempt, just visceral contempt for these almost adults who were bullying this short, stocky 12-year-old kid. And it I can't reproduce it here because, I mean, I just, I'd have to sort of really get into the acting mindset. And it's a pretty cliched thing to say, but I really, it just popped into my head and, and I just looked at him and I said, Are you, you cowards, why don't you pick on someone your own size? And I could see the words, you know, they almost formed like like 
glowing ghostly arrows in my mouth and just went, you know, two, two arrows, one to the heart, one to the balls, right? And it stung them because, of course, you know, they're making a little kid cry and they're pretty pathetic human beings as a whole. And anyway, so one of them turned and just punched me in the solar plexus, just hard. Now, I was, I'm trying to remember when I became more fit because later on, I was, I was, maybe what was I doing? I was playing tennis at this point. Nothing really ab-related or anything like that. But anyway, I guess I've always had a fairly strong core. Uh, later, I was on water polo team. I was on the swim team. I was on the cross-country team. Uh, I just did, I was so- played soccer recreationally on the weekends. I was just like Mr. Fitness. But at this point, and I remember the, the fist just going into my hairless little kid belly. And the guy who thumped me on the stairs on the shoulder didn't really hurt. And the, the guy who punched me in the belly didn't really hurt. I, I did double over because I had trouble breathing. But I just remember thinking, yeah, that's worth it. Yeah, that's worth it. I, I never regretted saying that. Um, and anyway, so that they let us go eventually. This was on a Saturday. On the Monday, they were in the cafeteria. And I think the only thing they said was, hey, how was your weekend, man? You know, that kind of stupid stuff. But... I think that was about it for bullying outside the home because I had a pretty quick wit. And also, uh, I became a rather uh, handsome young man and and very fit and all of that. So uh, it was a little tough to do all of that. So, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'm sorry about all this bullying stuff. They say bully. They say bullying builds character. It generally doesn't. I, I mean, I think it can to some degree. But, you know, I mean, being hit by a bus and recovering builds character. But we don't walk out into the street to build character, right? So. Uh, if you don't stop the bully, then the bully is likely to become a criminal when he gets older. So cut it with the stuff about how it's life. No, um, the, the, the bully is going to become a criminal no matter what. I mean, no matter what. High IQ criminal, he'll be, he'll be in the government. Um, medium IQ criminal, he'll be uh, in the police force. Uh, sorry, medium IQ bully. Uh, low IQ bully, he'll just be a regular in jail kind of guy. But um, my worst experience of bullying is watching a friend being getting bullied and being afraid to help. Yeah, yeah, no, I get that. But don't take that as you, right? That's not on you. I mean, I, I didn't try and beat these guys up. I mean, I guess theoretically what you could say, I mean, because, you know, you think about these things when you're being bullied, right? You think about these things and you say, wow, you know, I could, you look around, right? And you say, okay, there's a stick. It's a pretty big stick. It's about four feet long, about, you know, yay thick. And And you think, you think, okay, if I grab this stick and... I just crack one of these guys over the head, then, then what? Right? You think about these things, right? And and you you reason these things out as best you can in that kind of stressful situation. You say, okay, I could take one of these guys out, right? I could, I could. T- I've always been good at um, swinging uh, things. Like I was uh, very good at cricket. Uh, I was very good at um, baseball. I was very good. I remember. My first day at Greenland's public school. Well, so when we moved to Canada, I was in grade eight. Uh, I was put in grade eight because I was very advanced in English. But then when I was put into, this was in Whitby, we stayed with uh, my mother's half-brother for a couple of months. And then we moved to Toronto. And I was put back into grade six, which was, I have mixed feelings about. It doesn't really matter anymore so long ago. But anyway, I, re- I remember in, in cricket, you can choose whether you take the hit or not. So if you crack the ball, but you think you can crack it better next time, hit it better next time, you don't have to take the uh, ball, at least that's the way I played. And so I remember my first time I was playing baseball 
with the kids at school. Um, I hit the ball and I thought, ah, I can hit it better than that. So I hit the ball and everyone's like, run! And I'm like, no, 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 I'll take the next one. <laughs> Which, of course, you can't do in baseball. It's not, it's, there's no crying in baseball and there's no taking the next one in baseball. And I also remember Greenland Public School. And I even remember the name of the kid who did this. But for my very first recess, Greenland Public School, grade six, I was uh 11 or 12 and the kids were all like let's go and the boys right and and we're gonna go get the girls and i i didn't i didn't really know <laughs> what that meant anyway it was that they would um chase the girls around and they would corner the girls and they would punch the girls in the groin and i'm like what species of savagery have i sunk to now that i'm in this lord of the flies punch girls of course i never did it and i was horrified and i actually became friends with a guy boy this is bringing bringing someone back from the dead. I became friends with a boy and we would just walk all the way around the quad, all the way around during recess and stuff. And we have this is great conversations, just amazing conversations. He was a very thoughtful kid, read a lot. And we just would have these great conversations about life and school and, and knowledge and all of that. And it was, you know, in some ways he was, it was the foundation of my sort of philosophical thought. And then uh, I was friends with him for maybe a year, and we were pretty close, and then he just died. He just, he just, he just had a bad heart. Nobody knew about it, and he just, parents went to wake him up one morning, and he just had died in the night. His heart just stopped. It was, uh, it was pretty rough. That was pretty rough. I'm sorry about all of that. I really, I mean, I really am. This is terrible. Um, it's a lot of loss. I guess a lot of loss back then. But, um, yeah, so it doesn't build character, I don't think. You just It's something you survive. Uh, it's just something that you, you survive. I was bullied by a female French teacher when I was in elementary. Will the lockdowns become a permanent strategy? Well, sure, yeah. I mean, people are, uh, you know, fear is one of the most addictive emotions in the world, right? Fear and anger. A female friend of high school was killed by her live-in boyfriend. Ouchies. Ouchies. The Asian cultures have it the worst. The whole class will turn on you. Whereas in the West, there's still the chance to have a friend. Yeah, there's a lot of conformity in the uh, East Asian cultures, for sure. For sure. Um, I just want to make sure... Yeah, don't blame yourself for the bullying, though. You can't fix the bullying. The bullies, uh, you know, the, the, the literature is very clear that if you have a significant lack of empathy in your early childhood, sort of three, four, five years old, you can't fix that. You can't, it can be managed maybe a little bit here and there. You can't fix it. You can't fix it. It's not, uh, it's not, it's not something that another child, because like, there's all this fantasy, right? There's this fantasy, oh, well, I remember this, there was a film called My Bodyguard when I was a kid about some kid who hires the big kid to be his bodyguard. And they become friends and the big kid who was like kind of a bully becomes this guy's friend. And I remember the big kid was smoking a cigarette and the little kid was like, hey, you shouldn't do that. It's going to stunt your growth, right? And there was something about getting a motorcycle or fixing a car. I can't remember. The film was you know, 40 years ago for me. But this fantasy that you befriend the bully, that you, you know, and it's like, no, 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 it's not, that's not the way it works, man. It's not the way it works. It's not the way it works. 
the the so empathy the development of empathy is is they've actually mapped it on the brain it's 13 complex interactions you need to develop these things called mirror neurons mirror neurons are if you see someone getting hit in the nuts taking a nut shot and by the way isn't it shouldn't they call almond milk nut juice but they don't anyway so if you see a guy getting hit in the nuts some people will laugh and some people will Ugh, wince. So the wincing is, I imagine that happening to me, and that's that's empathy, right? And I remember in the Gulag Archipelago, uh, Alexandra Solzhenitsyn says the one god who used to beat the prisoners then got beaten because he had disobeyed some rule, and, and he got beaten himself. And, and he remembers the god just dazedly saying, oh my god, I had no idea it hurt that much. Well, that's a basic failure of empathy. So the development of empathy is like 13 complex systems in the brain, and the development of, of physical mirror neurons and other interconnected neurological pathways, you can't fix that later. I mean, if that doesn't happen, you, you can't fix that later. If you miss these critical development windows, I mean, therapy is a good thing and all of that, but, you know, the people who are really on the extremes of personality disorders rarely go to therapy, or if they do, they rarely benefit from it. So, yeah, don't, the bullies, it's entirely the fault of the parents and to a smaller degree, the schools. And what is it, Biden now? We're going to get $200 million, $200 billion invested in now Three or four years old, you can go to government schools and it's going to save families all this money. It's like, no, not in therapy costs later. It's not, but you know, whatever, right? What is it now? New Biden death tax is on top of the existing death tax. So once you pay the new Biden death tax, the old death tax also has to be paid. This is a federal total of 66% on your inheritance tax, on your death tax, and then states have to get their cuts as, as well. So if the boomers weren't selfish, they'd fight this tooth and nail. But the boomers basically are going to say, well, I'll be dead. What do I care, right? Because, because they're boomers. So. Uh, sorry, we kind of bent off on a bit of a path here. Being bullied taught me an important lesson. The people are assholes. Well, I would say that bullying teaches you an important lesson, not about the bullies. It, Bullying teaches you an important lesson about society. That society's full of shit and evil as a whole, right? I mean, they, they don't care about the kids. The teachers don't do anything. There's nobody you can go to. The other kids will turn their backs. Uh, you're on your own. Like you, in this life, you're on your own. Dun, 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 ding, 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 right? That's a great song from Prince, right? But it's true, right? Bullying will teach you that uh, you're on your own and all of the wet fart sharty noises that society says about being good and caring about kids all bullshit right it's all it's all lies it's just a bunch of self-congratulatory self-congratulatory nonsense that nobody ever acts on so i was bullied by a child of a single parent household in middle school i believe he turned into a gangster slash meth meth addict yeah for sure for sure so the laughing is empathizing with the one who kicks yeah yeah that's true that's true Stefan, I believe we may be discussing what defines various levels of being a psychopath. <laughs> believe what you want, man. I don't think that's my interaction. All right. What have we got here? I always hated that stupid AFB show, one clip after the next, about a guy getting hit in the nuts. Well, there's more to it than that. But what I can't stand about those shows is the brain-dead, zombie, shithead, hyena cackling of some guy who trips and hurts himself. Ah! You know, just the pointing, laughing, hysterical. Oh, it's just crazy. I couldn't imagine spending more than three seconds around someone like that without somebody ending up with their head in a blender. 
Uh, yeah, Biden's all about the taxes. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, destroying. Yeah, you want to destroy the concept of inheritance because inheritance is white privilege, don't you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. FBI raided Rudy Giuliani's apartment. Yes, they did. Yes, they certainly did. And they took his electronics and so on. I think it's generally about him digging up dirt on Hunter Biden in Ukraine. But I don't really know much about it. Neither do I care. Honestly, don't care that much about it. It's uh, politics is so deep in the review for me now. It's like, good luck, everybody. I'm out. <laughs> Steph Bud has left the building. So I hope that... Uh, um, that helps from that standpoint. But yeah, if you want to follow that stuff, go for it. But I don't uh, I don't really care. You know, I mean, well, did Rudy, Rudy Giuliani do anything to to help me out? Nope. Well, good luck to Rudy. <laughs> Not that he should or anything. He probably didn't even know me, but um, yeah. Rudy has copies. Yeah. Uh, I just discussed, discussed the new taxes with my former cousin. He can't sell that farm and won't be able to give it to his son. Yeah, so if you're talking, you know, 70, 75% inheritance tax, people will just stop working. I mean, they'll just stop They'll just stop accumulating resources. Why on earth would you accumulate a million dollars of, of assets to give to your kid if you've got to give 750000 of it to the government? And then your kid has to pay taxes on just about everything he gets a hold of through the inheritance. I mean, you wouldn't bother. You I mean, you wouldn't. So it's just, it's just another one of these things that's going to kill the market. Hunter Biden is going to teach a university class about fake news. <laughs> well, come on. That's hilarious. I mean, that's hilarious, right? I mean, that's uh, uh, they have so much power now that all they're doing is um, just rubbing your faces in it, right? I mean, they've just so much power now. We just got travel restrictions in British Columbia. We're catching up to Ontario. Yeah. Oh, by the way, uh, you guys know about Cheryl Atkinson, right? Cheryl Atkinson. Uh, you should check her out. She's got a good video about the origins of COVID, all stuff I was talking about last year. But uh, Crypto solves another problem, death tax. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's uh, I'm, I'm in crypto all the way these days, right? Philosophy was great, and I love having these conversations. But as far as changing the world goes, my podcast versus crypto uh, versus Bitcoin is not even close. All right. Uh, hit me with a Y. We can talk about anything you guys want. If you would like, I know I talked about the truth about women, but I get to talk about a lot of stuff in this show. And I I kneel before the collective brilliance and needs of the listenership. If there's something that you would like me to chat about, you can talk about it in the chat. Uh, just hit, hit, put the topic in the chat. If you would like to just, I could just open this up to audio and we could just have a chitty chat back and forth about whatever's on your mind. I could talk about the truth about women part three. Anything that... Uh, truth about alcoholism in particular. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying, guys. I really do. And I've mulled over the truth about in, in a whole bunch of things. But here's the thing. I mean, this is partly the purpose of deplatforming is that the truth about takes such a long time to do. And uh, unfortunately, the audience is just really small uh, these days. You know, I think it'll get bigger over time, but it's kind of small at the moment. So racism fatigue. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, it's just a weaponized thing, right? Want to do women? Okay, truth about women. All right. Now, hit me with a why if you are in a long-term committed relationship. Could be marriage, could be anything else, right? If you can, just hit me with a why if you're in, and hit me with an N if you're single or sleeping around or whatever it is. Yeah, we'll do we'll do the ladies, <laughs> one, three. But, um, yeah, why? We got a lot of people in long-term committed relationships. We got a couple of N's, a couple of Y, 169, I'm sure. 
one NN. <laughs> YN. So about, I mean, 75, 50, uh, getting some Ns now. Probably 60, 40. Long-term relationships, non-long-term relationships. Uh, somebody's going off the beaten platform and doing an L. Okay. Recently made single. Hmm. All right. The end of that story was probably at the beginning, but all right. LOL. I think that's a threesome. Um, or some guy reaching up uh, because he's being held up by a woman at the moment. Married 11 years. Ooh. 11 or is it a pause? I don't know. All right. Why, why, why? Polygamist. Just kidding. I'm in a relationship with myself. LOL. Hey, keep your hands where I can see them, kid. Women are the most complicated thing to understand for me. Well, not after, not after this show, man. I, I'm telling you, you guys will totally understand this, uh, women after this, right? Not, not all women, right? Just, you know, talking about the generals and the tendencies. Nothing to be scared of. Nothing to feel overly complicated about. All right. Last thing I want to ask from you at the moment, right? Um, from 1 to 100, how much do you feel loved? 1 to 100, how much do you feel loved? doesn't have to be romantic love. It could be love from parents or siblings or friends. How much do you feel loved from 1 to 100? I just want to gauge where people's cup overfloweth or not. We've got a 95. That's great to hear, Julie. Uh, 70, 110, 100, 70, 70, 20, 500, 0 to 10, A15. You know I'm going to republish these as your own estimated IQs, right? You know that, Matt, right? 25. Ooh, ouchies. Sorry about that. But we don't have any zeros, at least not, not any. Oh, zero, 04. Is that supposed to be 40? Splash Donna? Uh, I'm in love with my car. Got a feel for my automobile. All right. So yeah, it's pretty good. So you guys are in the um, in the uh, in the vicinity of love. All right. So okay, to understand the ladies, uh, here's 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 where we go. And and I'll keep my eyes on the chat, but let me sort of just concentrate for a second here. Uh, make sure I get these these points across. Okay. So the women here will know what I'm talking about. For the men, this may be new information, probably is new information, but you really need to understand it, okay? Men don't really have a methodology for being loved that we don't have to do something to earn or to achieve. Now, again, there's a couple of men who are like the super hearty guys or whatever, and the women are going to lust after them and all that. But for women, they are absolutely completely and totally desperate to be loved and that's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful thing they're absolutely completely and totally desperate to be loved but the devil so to speak has given them a curse which is that when men are young and maybe throughout some of their lives as a whole but when men are young the women desperately want to be loved and the men desperately want to have sex with them so the women want to be loved but the men want to use them Again, I'm generalizing. There's exceptions, but this is a general general pattern, right? Now, this is incom incompatible. Now, it's so easy for women to confuse attention with love. Because if a man's paying attention to you and he's attracted to you, for the woman, that is the potential that he is going to love you. Now, remember, the reason women are desperate to be loved is that for a woman... 
she starts off, and think about this sort of historically, right? As we evolve, she starts off beautiful, you know, slender, clear-cheeked, rosy-cheeked, uh, you know, helium boobs and and uh, narrow waist and and all of the lustrous hair, and so if the man is attracted to her for sexual reasons, right? Lust, and again, no hate on lust. I, I love lust; it's a wonderful part of life. But again, we're sort of talking about the attachment thing. So if the man pursues her out of lust and impregnates her, then he won't want to keep her. And then she has the worst of both worlds, which was a complete disaster historically, which is that she's pregnant without a man's commitment. So she has her very finest assets on display, and not by her necessarily, but just by nature, right? She has her very finest assets on display, and any reasonably attractive woman in her late teenage years, and when I say young women, I'm always talking about 18 and up, right? But she, as, and when I say as a teenager, I'm talking 18 and up, right? So as a teenager, a woman has, uh, it's at her peak attractiveness, peak fertility, uh, peak beauty, and, and also, listen, let's be honest, right? There is something about, about a young woman, there is something that is, again, throughout most times in human history, delightfully unspoiled, right? Because she hasn't been you know, passed around like a party favor. She hasn't had, you know, we think our bonding mechanisms as human beings are kind of like Velcro, but they're not. They're kind of like sticky tape. Like, you've, you know, Velcro, you have those sneakers, they just last forever, right? But that's not how we are, particularly women. With women, it's like the first time you attach something with that scotch tape or what we used to call in England tape. it's a pretty strong bond, right? You lift it up, you put it back down again, it's less of a bond. And after a while, it's just like two pieces of paper going together. You've lost all capacity to bond. There is a sort of delightful, positive sunniness to young women, and they retain that if they get into a good pair-bonded relationship. But if they succumb to the great temptation of confusing lust for love and feeling that getting a man's attention is the same as getting a man's love, then they fall down the staircase and end up pretty broken at the bottom, right? It's called riding the carousel, usually in slightly more coarse terms of that. But they lose the capacity to bond, and they become bitter, they become unhappy, they mistrust men. And why? Why shouldn't they mistrust men? Because they've been betrayed by men a lot. Because men say, I love you, and then they come, right? <laughs> For some women, that's just the way it, it plays out. And it's really, really tragic. Now, so once you understand that the woman is, is desperate to be loved for who she is, she's desperate to be loved for who she is, for her virtues, for her sense of humor, for her intelligence, for her conversations, whatever she is, whoever, whatever she comes up with, she's desperate to be loved absent sexual access. She wants to be loved as if she were a nun. She wants to be loved as if she were a man, if you're straight, right? She wants to be loved without the subsidy of sexual access. But, but, the man will pretend to love her in order to gain sexual access or pretend to hold out a future uh, and all of this. The man will pretend to do that and then we'll dump her. We'll, we'll ghost her. We'll whatever, right? And this is why you get these, you know, crazy bitter scenarios, right? Where some some woman who's a six finds some guy who's a nine uh, and sleeps with him, and then he ghosts her, and then she complains to her friends, and her friends say, "Well, were you drinking? Were you drunk? Could you consent?" 
right? And then she goes to confront him at some party, and then at some party he's got some other woman draping off his arm, and she gets really angry, and she tries to talk to him, and he brushes her off or laughs at her, and then she escalates to the administration and says that he raped her. I mean, right, just crazy, crazy stuff. So I saw, now, with women as well, the competition is fierce, particularly for the top tier of men, right? So I was at a public place some time ago, doesn't really matter when, and there were women helping customers, for the women behind the counter. And these two women came, came walking up, and these two women were fairly curvy, a little overweight, but fairly curvy, and they very tight clothing, and, you know, their asses, you know, like two puppies in a burlap sack chasing each other's tails. And what's the old description? Like two oranges in a stocking. <laughs> I can't remember something like that. Um, that's some Philip Rothman book. I can't remember what it is. But anyway, so the woman behind the counter, I remember seeing this so vividly, and it just, it really came in like an arrow to my heart. The woman behind the counter was dressed quite conservatively. She had tasteful makeup on, her hair was done nicely, but she was dressed as a nice girl, as a nice woman, uh, probably conservative. And then these women were kind of rolling up with, you know, their assets uh, on, on display and clothes so tight you could figure out if they even had a henna tattoo, let alone a proper tattoo, right? So, and I remember this woman looking at these two women with just this, oh man. What am I going to do? That's kind of a torture for a woman. It's kind of a torture for a woman. It reminds me, uh, many years ago, when I was working up north, I got a month. I took a month off, and a friend of mine and I paid a couple of hundred bucks to, uh, it was a Air Canada special back in the day, where you could fly anywhere you wanted for an entire month in Ontario and Quebec for a month. Uh, you just pay one-time fee, and you get a month pass. And we flew a bunch of different places. We went to... Montreal, we went to Ottawa, we went to um, Quebec City and just had a great time. And I met this girl, Deborah, in Quebec City, and we stayed friends. We kind of half dated a little bit, but we stayed friends for a while. And I was out with her. I, I used to go to a, a disco. Uh, well, I went to a bunch of discos and I used to like dance all night from the age of like 15 or 16 on. It's one of the things that gave me a big boost to my social standing at school was when a bunch of my school mates, who I wasn't really friends with, but they're kind of in the same school, they showed up at a place I used to go to dance all night called um, Nuts and Bolts. Very, very subtle, right? And the fact that I was there and busting moves and chatting with ladies and all that, I was suddenly like the coolest kid in school. And it's just, you know, the fortunes that go up and down in life are kind of funny. Anyway, so Deborah and a friend of hers and I were going out to, I think it was my apartment or it was a place called my apartment. And there was this girl, you know, dressed really skimpy, great figure and, and high heels and all of that. And you could see her nipples through her top. And my friend Deborah and her friend, we were in a cab. And they looked at this woman. They turned to each other and just went, bitch. Right? Because it's like, that's unfair. That's a nuclear option. Like really revealing clothing, nipples pressing against the, uh, the cloth. So you can, you know, gauge the temperature from the pokiness. I mean, that's, that's really unfair. That's, that's a nuclear option. That is absolutely unfair. And for women who are nice girls, women who are, you could say, conservative or 
women who are going to be great moms and great companions and sensible people to raise children with and a lot of fun and right they won't put their assets on display in that way because they're K-selected, not R-selected. But when they see the women out there who are constantly doing this, there is a significant amount of despair because the weaponization of sexual markers is really dragging the entire relationship between men and women down into the gutter, right? Into the gutter. It's into the gutter. How the hell are they going to compete with that? Because they know that some men are going to be like, get thee behind me, Satan, to the girls in skimpy clothing, and they're going to try and angle towards the nice girls, but that's always a temptation, and how the hell are they going to compete? How the hell are they going to compete with that? And that despair, I'm seeing that very clearly, that despair is one of the things that made me want to do this series, was seeing that despair on that woman's face, like, oh my God, how on earth am I going to find and get a good guy to settle down with me when these hyper-stuffed tarts that look like a Zeppelin and a condom are floating around signaling easy access to all the men. That is, that is really tough. That's a really tough woman. So you want to be loved for yourself, but you have this gold of sexual access, right? You got the golden V right? And that's really a torture for women. I want to be loved for who I am, but I have something that the men desperately want. That's not me. Right? The vagina is not not you, the whatever, right? Your sexual assets, they're not you in particular. They're not because they're common to all, right? All women have vaginas. All women have, I'm probably going to get, well, I'm already deplatformed anyway, right? But what's individual to you is your mind, your conscience, your virtue, your the contents of your mind, right? Whereas the whole, the whole is, as I've said before, the whole is where the woman isn't, right? The whole is where the woman isn't. So you want to be loved for who you are, but you're cursed. And it literally is a curse for a woman who wants to be loved. You are cursed with having the golden V. So as a man, and I know this sounds kind of silly, but as a man... You can hide your wealth if you want. Something Muhammad Ali said many years ago is just going to go down the street, dressed in nothing, find some girl who likes him for who he is, and then reveal his money. But women can't really do that. I mean, I guess they could be in a burqa or something like that. But So imagine if everywhere you went as a man, you had to wear you know, one of those Conor McGregor million-dollar watches and you had to show up everywhere in a Lamborghini and you had to have like incredibly expensive clothing and you just had to stink of money everywhere you went you had to stink of money now you want to be loved for who you are but financial access for women is like sexual access for men right the sex addict as a man is equivalent to the gold digger for a woman so imagine everywhere you went you stank of money like nobody could look at you and not say, that guy's at least a millionaire, at least a millionaire. Now, you want to be loved for who you are, but everyone knows how wealthy you are. Now, how many women who say that they're really into you, can you trust that they're really into you for you, not the money? I mean, that's really tough. It would Because you would be tortured, right? You would be tortured. Because you want to be loved for who you are, 
but everyone can look at you and see that you're wealthy. You want to be loved for who you are, but everybody knows you're a multimillionaire. I mean, it's a, an old movie, um, oh, Anthony Hopkins and Alec Baldwin about these guys and a bear. <laughs> and uh, uh, Anthony Hopkins plays a super wealthy guy and some guy just sits down to chat with him and he's, Anthony Hopkins is like, oh, wow, that's really nice. Somebody's just chatting with me for um, for me, right? And and then it turns out this guy wants Anthony Hopkins to fund the expansion of his resort and, and Anthony Hopkins is like, oh, it's about the money again. Okay. If Stefan's wife was a one in looks, she wouldn't, he wouldn't love her for who she is either. Well, see, here's the thing, right? There are very few people who are just but ugly in, in their face structure, right? Very rare, very rare, very rare. So um, ugliness in terms of there's things that you can do, right? You can maintain a healthy weight. You can, you can exercise. You can be a great conversationalist. You can play up your features. You can, you know, there's, there's things that you can do to make yourself more attractive, right? So, so for, for men to understand this about women, they desperately want to be loved for who they are. And that's a very practical thing because who they are times out. Sorry, doesn't time out. Their looks will time out. Who they are doesn't time out. Who they are doesn't, doesn't time out. So if you're attracted to a woman for her looks, the first thing you would do historically is impregnate her and destroy her looks for the most part, right? And, and because women, remember, women spend like from the ages of 18 to 40 just pumping out kid after kid after kid after kid after kid after kid after kid. I mean, that's hell on the body. That's hell on the boobs. That's hell on the butt. That's hell on the body fat percentage, that's hell on the posture, that's it's hell on everything, right? So, and it, it you know, women, uh, they've talked about this. They, they talk about, you know, my skin got dusty after I had kids. Like, you, it, they just look dusty. Like, women over 40, and like, I'm sorry, I'm sure men do too. I'm just, they just kind of look dusty. And so, if, a, if you're attracted to a woman for her looks, then you're going to have sex with her. Traditionally, you would impregnate her, and her looks are going to, going to fry. <laughs> They're going to be like, like, Butter in the sun in Florida, right? Just digging it, right? So the woman desperately needs to be loved for who she is. But the romantic relationship is to a significant degree based upon sexual attraction. And the sexual attraction is going to burn out. So she has the nuclear option of offering sexual access or flirting in such a manner that suggests sexual access, which will absolutely get her attention, will get her dates, will get her male investment, will get her resources but won't get her commitment. Now, the great V-shaped grappling hook that men, that, that women fire at men, and this is um, something that's really, really important to understand, right? So again, we're just talking numbers one to 10, right? Just It's just convenient. And I'm not just talking physical looks. I'm just talking general sexual market value, which is a lot to do with the non-physical as well. Integrity, virtue, honesty, good humor, and all of that, right? So a woman who's seven, she wants a 10. Well, everyone wants a 10, right? Everyone wants the 10. So the woman who's seven, traditionally, historically, right? When people paired off in their late teens and their early 20s and paired off and were committed for life, right? So they're off the market, right? Until death do us part, you know, uh, Jesus has blessed this union and only the devil could take it apart and it's a mortal sin or a grave sin to, to split up and all that. So the woman who, let's say it's a woman who's a seven, right? So the woman who's a seven, what's she going to do? 
she's going to aim as high as she possibly can. But, but, if she aims too high, she fails miserably. It's really important to understand. So let's say that the woman who's a 7 aims for a 10. Well, the 10 can get another 10, so why would he settle for a 7? So if she aims, aims too high, the only way that she can bridge the, the gap between 7 and 10, usually, is to offer sexual access to the 10. This is tragically common these days. Tragically common. So the woman who's a 7, she wants the 10, and the way that she bridges these gap of 3 is she offers sexual access to the 10. Now, the 10 will dip down to the 7 for sexual access, but he won't commit to her and he won't marry her. Now, historically, what would happen is if the woman aimed at the 10 and missed, now, whether there was sex or not matters, but let's just say it doesn't really matter for the case sake of this conversation, just for the sake of clarity. I want to go through these two separate paths because they end up in the same place. So the woman who's a 7 aims at the 10, dates the 10, and then the 10 dumps her. She's no longer a 7. She's now a 5 or a 6. Do you know why? Well, first of all, she's been dumped by a guy, which makes her of less value to other men. But because she's a 7 and she aimed for a 10 and desperately threw her heart, mind, and soul into getting a 10, she's proven two things. One, that she's not a very good judge of value. She's not a very good judge of value. She, she overestimates. She's full of vanity. She overestimates her own value, and, and that's, that's going to be a problem. Number two is that now she's become dangerous to date, and, and certainly she's dangerous to marry. Do you know why? The why, the why, you'd probably know, right? So the reason why, the woman who's a seven who aims at a ten and fails, now she's dangerous to marry because the man who's a seven, who's going to date her and marry her, knows that she thinks she deserves a ten, and therefore she's going to be dissatisfied with him. She's going to be not a positive companion to marry, right? So if you're a seven and you aim at a 10 as a woman and you fail, then you become a five or a six. And so that, so you can't, you probably can't even get a seven anymore. Again, unless you, you, maybe you can get a seven or an eight, but only if you offer sexual access. And then whether you give sexual access or not doesn't particularly matter. I mean, it matters to the woman, matters to her heart, but so you keep falling down. If you aim too high, you fall down the ladder. Like, like if you were just, if I'd started my professional career and said, I'm never going to take a job that's less than $100,000. Well, nobody's going to hire me, right? So I, uh, you know, I couldn't even get a job at $40,000 then because if I go into a job that only pays $40,000 and I say, well, I, I want $100,000 or I'm not going to set foot in this office, people are going to say, good luck, kid, right? So if you aim too high, you fall down lower. That's the risk that women used to have to take. If they aim too high, they fall down lower. And then they end up having to pick up the dregs, the threes, the fours, the whoever's, right? And then they're, then they're really bitter, really bitter, because there are seven who ended up with a two or a three or a four because they aimed at a 10 and fell down the staircase by broadcasting their complete lack of reality, their complete lack of capacity to assess basic facts about life and attractability and signaling down the tunnel of time their endless dissatisfaction as to where their life was going to end up. So that's really bad. Now, in the past, a woman would have to say, okay, I must, like, I gotta be realistic, right? I gotta be realistic. And there's a great, great line in uh, a play that had a huge influence on me when I was younger, uh, the, the uh, uh, Streetcar Named Desire, where Blanche Dubois says to Stanley Kowalski, do you think that I could ever have been considered attractive? And he's like, yeah, I don't go in for that stuff. I don't go in for complimenting women on their looks. I never met a woman who didn't know exactly how attractive she was objectively. And a lot of women give themselves way more credit than they actually have earned. I don't do it. Not going to give you 
this kind of price stuff. You don't, you don't need me to tell you. And so a woman who thinks that she's way, she's all that and a, and a six pack, right? She's, she's going to fail. So she had to be ruthlessly realistic in what she could achieve. And she had to say, I'm a seven. Okay. So if I get a 7.5 or an eight, fantastic. If I aim much higher than that, you know, if, if you're offered a job at $40,000 a year and you say, I won't take a dime less than a hundred, you're not going to get the job. But if you say, I can't get maybe 45 or 46. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty good. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. So this calculation that would be going on was really, really important. Now, of course, the woman wants the 10, particularly if the man is attractive, because attractive people just make more money, tend to be more popular. I don't know whether they're happy or not, but generally. And of course, good looks even features are a sign of high intelligence and high IQ because it's a sign of genetic symmetry, which means um, they're all, all, all the ducks are in a row, so to speak, genetically. So that's really, really important to understand for women. They're always going to aim high. Always going to aim, aim high. But if they, they know deep down that if they aim too high, they're going to lose sexual market value and they're going to tumble down the staircase till they land in some godforsaken place. I'm not sure the calculation is entirely rational as you imagine, Steph. I don't know what the hell that means. <laughs> I don't know what the hell that means. Like we used to play this game when I was a kid when we had skateboards. We didn't do this like funky flip around skateboards thing. We used to go down this curved road that led from the more expensive places to the less expensive places in, in, in where I lived. And we used to get these little sticks, right? And we would try and drop these sticks in front of each other's skateboards for the funny reason that if you drop, drop the right stick in front of the skateboard, the other skateboard would stop. It would run up against a stick and it would stop, right? And so when people say stuff like, well, I don't know if it's exactly as rational as you imagine. First of all, I said it's an instinctive process. I'm not saying that these women have engineering blueprints on their walls or anything like that. But this is just a, um, uh, it's a way of just trying to derail the conversation. Like you're not adding anything. It's not a criticism. It's not, oh, Steph, here's where you're incorrect, or here's where your logic doesn't hold, or here's where evolutionary biology would prove you wrong. It's not, it's not a, it's just a, well, I don't know if this is exactly as you're saying. It's like, I don't know what the fuck exactly what I'm saying means, or ex I don't know. I, I never claimed it was a purely rational process. I mean, all creatures do it. You understand? Like lizards do it. Uh, birds do it. Uh, all creatures assess what they can get away with and what they can achieve from a romantic uh, or reproductive standpoint. So, I mean, I don't know. It's just, I always find that kind of stuff vaguely annoying. Well, I'm not sure it's exactly as you're describing. What the hell does that even mean? <laughs> I don't know what that means. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong or tell me where I'm wrong and all that. So hypergamy wants the 10. Well, yes, but hypergamy wants the maximum that is possible. Right now, for a seven, a ten is not likely, right? And so, hypergamy wants the ten. No, technically, hypergamy wants the most that is possible. Now, because we have a welfare state, and because we have dating apps, women can continually go for the top ten percent of men, as they do. We know this. We know that they do uh, through dating apps and through this analysis. Women can consistently go for the top ten percent of men. That's ignoring everyone else. And guys, if you've been on dating apps, you understand you understand what I'm talking about here, right? Women will go for the top 10% of guys, completely ignoring everyone else. And the only way that they can get the top 10% of guys is to offer sexual access. And so women are constantly getting their heart broken. And the welfare state fuels a massive decline in um, 
healthy and positive birth rates because women are just forever chasing this uh, 10. And then women uh, say, oh, well, men just use me and, and, and men just look at us as sexual objects. And it's like, well, yeah, but you're, because you're closing the gap between 7 and 10 by offering sex. And then you say, well, men are just treating me as a sexual object. It's like, well, no, you're subsidizing your sexual market value with sexual access. It's a massive subsidy. It's as big a subsidy as the welfare state is to sex addicts, right? In other words, you can just have sex with women and because they can jump on the welfare state, they're not as selective or whatever it is, right? Most of you don't get it. Stop looking at women as commodities. Become a leader and create a better person by being one. Stop looking at women as commodities. Again, a completely useless virtual virtue signaling. You can, an, you can analyze sexual market value without saying everybody is a commodity. I mean, these are basic facts of life. I don't, I don't know why people have such trouble with this. Conservative women tend to work out and go to church. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I lusted after a 10 out of 10 girl for my entire adolescent life. I never learned how to handle it and get and got no support. Oh, yeah, of course. Look, because men always talk about hypergamy. Like, oh my gosh, we're so victimized by women wanting more. No, you're not. It's the only reason we have a freaking civilization. You ever go to a bachelor's apartment? There's nothing on the walls and he's watching TV on the box it came on. So women challenge men to improve. Women challenge men to gain more resources. Women challenge men to become more productive and more efficient so that there's more resources for kids. My God, I mean, stop complaining about the fact that it's called the human fucking race. It's not the human sit around with your thumb up your ass and your barker lounge just sucking on a lollipop and watching Netflix. It's called the human race. Why? Because it's a fucking race. <laughs> it's a race, you understand. It's a challenge. It's a meritocracy. It's a competition. Look, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to laugh because I know I know where this comes from. I know where this, I, uh, I don't want to have to prove myself to be loved. I want unconditional love. I don't want to be part of a race. I don't want to be a commodity. I, don't, I understand where all of this comes from. And, and I, we all do seriousness. I really do sympathize with it. I re- where it comes from is that you were never loved for who you were when you were a baby and you, when you were a toddler. So you need to be loved for who you were just for existing and breathing. You know, when my daughter was born, I took such a no- I took delight in her before she was born. Uh, I would tickle her through her mom's belly and read books to her for hours and hours and hours. So, because uh, I knew that my voice transmitted more through the amniotic sac than my wife's voice, and so I wanted my uh, daughter to to know who I was and, and have a continuity in in, in language be- before being born and after being born to sort of minimize the shock. So, I, I mean, I took massive delight in my daughter when she was born and she was just i remember oh man so the first night we had a room in a hospital and my daughter just slept through and all the other babies were crying and we're like oh my god did we get a sleeper did we get a sleeper and that was it (laughs) that was it i remember uh, we came home from the hospital of course we spent one night in the hospital we came home the next day and my wife of course was exhausted and, and she just went to bed and slept which is exactly what she should have done. And I had my daughter. She was tiny, 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 of course. I had my daughter on my chest. And she was kind of fussy and kind of fussing, as she did for the first six months. And I just experimented with various things. And I thought, I wonder if she misses the gurgling sound of, you know, digestion, you know, inside the belly. There's always this gurgling stuff. And I remember lying with her on my on my belly. And I would make this, I'd take a deep breath and I'd go, hmm. 
And then she would calm down and she napped a little bit and, and all of that. And I, I was there for hours and hours, just deep breath. And and the, and, and the moment I stopped doing it, she'd start stirring and fussing. And, and I would just, you know, you do whatever you can to keep your kids. Uh, so, so I, I mean, I just, I took massive delight in her when she was uh, a baby. I just completely adored her. And she didn't have to do anything. She didn't have to entertain me. She didn't have to be virtuous or anything like that. And so if you, if you are loved for who you are, then you are full enough of being adored that you can go out and into the hurly-burly and the hustle and bustle and tussle of the sexual marketplace, uh, a sexual marketplace, and you're fine with the competition, right? Like if you're a street racer and you've got a full tank of gas, you're happy to race if you're a street racer, right? And don't street race. That's just an analogy, right? But if you don't have a full tank of gas, you don't want to compete, right? And so the full tank of gas is just being loved to the brim when you're very little. And then that gives you a full tank of gas for the rest of your life. And it's, I'm sorry that you didn't get it if you didn't get it. But the people who were like, Ugh, I don't want to have to do stuff. I just I just want to be loved for who I am. And, and I don't want to have to prove myself. It's like you're asking for something your mom didn't give you. And if your mom didn't give it to you, you are never going to get it. I'm sorry, man. I hate to break this to you. You are never going to get it. If your mom didn't love you unconditionally, and your dad too, if your parents didn't love you unconditionally, when you were a child, you will never, ever, ever get that. And you shouldn't. Because the only people who will offer to love you unconditionally when you're an adult are people who want to exploit the living shit out of you. Because they smell that need, like cults and places like that, right? Because they smell that need. That I just want to be loved for who I am. I don't want to have to do anything. Well, that's a yearning that comes out of infancy. And run screaming from people who offer you unconditional love as an adult as an adult, because those people are just, they're putting like a, like how octopi try and feel their way into nooks and crannies to, to get the fish and shellfish that they want to eat. These people are just looking in, okay, who around here has unconditional love thirst from being ignored as a baby? Oh, okay, well, we can promise them that and blah, right? There's something for nothing. Oh, there's something for nothing. Why do we want something for nothing, right? Why do people believe in the something for nothing? Because they weren't loved as babies. Like All this economic Marxist bullshit just comes down to were you loved as a baby? When you're loved as a baby, you're getting something for nothing. You're not doing anything to earn that love. You're not doing anything to earn being adored and for people to take delight in your company and enjoy your existence and, and all of that, enjoy playing with you and chatting with you and all of that. And so as a baby, you get something for nothing which is love. Now, if you don't get that something for nothing, as a baby, what happens? Well, when you become an adult, you, want, you, you still desperately want something for nothing. You, and whether that comes from the government giving you free stuff, whether that comes from men giving you attention because you're putting your tits on a shelf, whether that comes from a guy strutting his status and being envied by other guys. If you, if you get pure love as a baby and as a toddler, you grow up a capitalist in general because then you're full and willing to trade. And you don't look, you don't look for adults to mother you. Like, this is what people are doing. Right? So you understand this is what people are doing when they run to the government to save them. or like They're looking for the government to mother them. 
to be there for them, to take care of them, to give them something for nothing, to make sure they're okay and, and give them health care and make sure that they're fine and right. And the government loves this. This is why governments disrupt families all the time. It's an unconscious thing. But governments screw families all the time, disrupt families, break up families, stress families, you know, tor torment families uh, and, and pay women to have kids without dads so that they're stressed and the dads are angry. And Because the less loved that babies are, the more political power can be achieved. Because if you grow up with a void of, oh, nobody really cared for me and I've never really felt loved. And then some politician comes along and says, well, I'm going to take care of you and I care about you. I'm here for you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to make the world better for you. And I'm going to make sure you never go hungry. And I'm going to make sure you never get sick. Or if you get sick, you'll get better soon. And I'll make sure that you always have a roof over your head. And I care about you. And we love this country together. And you understand, he's just octopus sending out the feelers to looking for traumatized and neglected infancies so that he can control you. Closure on being ignored as an infant is the most fundamental battle against the power of the state that can be imagined. So yeah, all of these people who are like, I don't want to be treated as a commodity. It's like, well, welcome to adulthood. In the adult world, you are a commodity. Because in the adult world, you have to earn things. In the baby world, you should never have to earn anything. There should be no conditional love for babies. It should be love and delight in, in who they are as a, as a life, as a potential. You love who they're going to be when they're loved, <laughs> after they're loved, right? The love creates the people who are genuinely lovable as adults. And, you know, we have a little group that we play Among Us with. And my daughter played today. I, I was kind of busy and a little tired. I wanted to rest a little bit before the show in full attention and energy. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's some people listening here. Come on, let's be honest. Do you prefer playing with me or my daughter? <laughs> I know the answer to that already. I know the answer to that. Um, she is just, she's a real delight. She's an absolute delight. And she is a delight because I loved her when she was younger. So now I love her with cause, whereas before, and I love her with cause because I loved her without cause. Because I loved her for existing, I now love her for who she is. And that's the magic spell of adoring infants. And that's why you've got to be home. Because you know who ain't going to adore your infants? Daycare workers. Daycare workers. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably put uh, streaming live on Rumble as well. I just need to up my, my payments. So for women... Right, they, they really, once you understand that women so desperately want to be loved for who they are, and if you love them for who they are, lovemaking will be a wonderful and beautiful and magical part of your life from now till the end of your life. If you, but, but they have this grave temptation. This grave temptation is to offer up sexual access to close the gap between themselves and a higher status male. And that is deeply destabilizing to society as a whole. Stable marriages tend to be, look, if you want to know how attractive you are to women, look at your long-term partner. You look at your long-term partner, you're kind of about that attractive. You're kind of about that attractive. As a whole, again, there's exceptions, you know, the, the, the fact millionaire with the Anna Nicole Smith or whatever, I, I guess the millionaire was old and in a wheelchair or whatever. 
But in general, in general, if you want to know how attractive you are, just look at your partner. That's kind of how attractive you are. And again, it's not just physical. It's a whole bunch of other, other things as well. But if you understand that women absolutely want to be loved for who they are, but they have the golden V, sexual access, which is a grave temptation for them and a sick battle between women. Because if women as a whole don't offer up sexual access, then quality women can find quality mates. But if women are out there muddying up the waters and clouding up the uh, male hormone stratosphere with the constant offerings of sexual access, and the two women who walked into this public space with their asses half hanging out their pants and their, you know, your, your boobs were on time, but you were five minutes late, right? Well, that the, the woman behind the table, uh, behind the desk, who's like just dressed nicely and conservative, she's like, oh man, what the hell am I going to do? I, can't, I don't want to do that. But at the same time, if I don't do that, it's the fundamental torture of women to put out or not to put out. I mean, sorry to get so 50s, but it's a very foundational and powerful question for women, right? If you're a woman and you offer up sex, you can always get attention. You can always get dates. You can always get taken out. You can always get taken on holidays. You, you get free stuff conveyor belting its way from the stratosphere of male lust. But you can't get a man to commit to you. Can't get a man to commit to you. Do you put out? Now, if other women are putting out, even the decent men will be tempted to go for the sexual access. For sure, right? Men want sex, women want commitment, blah, blah, blah. We understand that, right? So, if, if you are a woman, if other women are offering up no-strings-attached sex or maybe manacles-attached sex or ropes-attached sex or hanging chandelier-attached sex, I don't know. But if women are offering up sex and you're not offering up sex, men will often bypass you to go, and you know, men should know better and men should do better, but this is where we are. So if you don't put out, men will ignore you. If you do put out, men won't commit to you. This is horrible. It's a horrible, horrible, horrible situation for women. Because I know that the men are all like, oh, the women have it so easy. And, but this is particularly when you're young, right? When you're young, the women constantly... Because you, you imagine, like you imagine if you were born... I mean, I remember this. I mean, when I was in high school, there were these two guys, two Italian guys. Their dad was fantastic, wealthy. They got like convertible Camaros for their 16th birthdays. And everybody was like, oh, man, that would be great. Oh, all right. But what's that saying from the Irishman? You never, never trust a kid who's father is a millionaire. <laughs> Never trust anyone whose father is a millionaire. So we always imagine, oh, if I was this good looking or if I was this or that, right? I remember when I first started to lose my hair, I was like, oh, I bet you the guys with great hair never have a bad day in their life. Like, it's completely ridiculous, right? Obviously. But so we look at this thing for women and we imagine that women have a, some easy thing, right? Some kind of easy thing. Or it's only if you look at the first half of life, right? The first half of life. Some adulthood, right? And it's not it's not even half, it's more like a third, right? So the 20 to 40 is the first third, right? 40 to 60, second third, and 60 to 80, third, third, right? So men don't have it that easy, 20 to 40, because they're constantly running around and, and they're low sexual market value because they don't have a lot of resources at the same time as women are very high sexual market value because they've got youth and beauty. And then the 
That's sort of 20 to 40, 40 to 60, men have the upper hand because if they've got resources, they can date younger women, thus screwing up younger women a lot of times, right? Because a lot of these older men dating these younger women, the older men don't want kids. And so they're basically pillaging the good genes of the healthy younger women for the next generation. And then they wonder why their taxes keep going up. But anyway, so, and then, you know, the sort of 60 to 80 stuff, uh, it's a little easier for men and pretty tougher women if they don't have families, right? If everyone has a family and everyone has kids and, and you've got a community and you've contributed, then life is pretty good all the way through. So men look at this one third slice of 20 to 40 and say, oh, women got it so easy. It's like, no, it's not easy. Like If you can't summon sympathy for what modernity has done to women, and I know a lot of you out there, like if you're not in the top 10% of attractive men and the women are completely ignoring you and you know, you're know you five foot nine and there's, you know, like whatever it is, right? That you get mad at women. And I, I like, I understand where that comes from. I really do. And I'm, I'm just, I'm begging you on my knees to not fall into that trap. See, the trap that's set for us is, it goes something like this. It's very, very simple, right? The trap that's set to us is, we are going to create circumstances and situations wherein you can get really, really mad at that which is essential for the continuance of your society. Like, I, I rip on the boomers, and I have... I'm half and half about that now, right? Because, I mean, you don't see Muslims ripping on their elders. You don't see, uh, like, Hindus or, or Jews ripping on their elders, you know, but we're all trained to rip on the boomers. And again, you know, this I'm half and half about that. I'm still mulling that one over. But if they can get you to dislike women, you can't blame women for the, the state. As I've said before, like, you, you can't say to some worker in Stalinist Russia, you're just lazy. It's like, no, the incentives are all completely screwed up. Fix the incentives, fix the people. Do not blame people for trying to survive as best they know how in a terrible environment. And the lack of wisdom, the lack of quality men a lot of times too, because a lot of these guys are just running around, sleeping with women and cranking out feminists like Catholics used to crank out babies, right? So if you fall into the trap of disliking women because women are responding fairly rationally, to really weird incentives, then you are blaming a slave for being unmotivated. Oh, I can't believe those slaves are so lazy. They're so unmotivated. I can't believe these communist workers don't come in early and work extra hard. No, the incentives are completely screwed up. And if they can get you to turn on the women, you're done. Like, we're all done. If they can get you to turn, I mean, if they can get you, you understand, if they can get you to turn on your women, you're done as a culture, as a society, as a civilization, you're done. What you can do is you can say, I get that women can be kind of cocky and arrogant and they're all that and the woo girls and, and, and they, they, you know, kick cocks, cops and giggle. And I get all of that. I, I get it. It's kind of obnoxious. But these are behaviors that are generated by the extraordinary levels of unaccountability that are created by the state. Right, the woman can be, and, and, and listen, it's easier to be a man in the modern world than to be a woman. I'm telling you that straight up because if you, that's why you got to talk about the second and third thirds of life, right? Adult life. It's way easier to be a man than to be a woman because a man can screw up and still recover. A man can waste 20 to 30 or 20 to 35. He can buckle down, he can work his ass off, and he can gain resources and he can go from low sexual market value to high sexual market value in five years right? So even if you've screwed up most of your youth as a man and wasted it and lazed it away and Xboxed it and 
jaded or whatever, right? You can still kick yourself in the ass and you can get started and you can crank up and you can still become a productive and, and virile and reproductive member of society, right? Okay. But if you're a woman and you've wasted your youth dating men who won't commit to you, well, you're fucked. You, you, you're, you're 38. There's no man in sight. And you got to make it for another 45 years with nobody, nobody being interested in you. So you go from this crack of like, oh, the men are all fascinated by me and want to take me out. Boom, done. The dust fills in the cracks. The eggs fall and break. That rotten egg smell of the end of a bloodline hangs around you. Hangs around you and drives people away. And then there's no do-overs, no mulligans for women. Men, we can screw up and we can bounce back. Women, because of the fertility issue, right? 90% of a woman's eggs are gone by the time she's 30. 90%. I know there's still a lot left, but 90%. And trying for a woman trying to get a man to commit when she's young is pretty tough because there's all these other women out there and all these men chasing around all these women. You understand that each gender in general is a shadow cast by the choices of the other gender in the giant shadow cast by the state. So for women, what society does as a whole, what the media does as a whole, is it encourages women to exploit their sexual power when they're young. And then what it does is when they get older, it completely hides them from view. It completely hides them from view. So that nobody looks at this wreckage and gets scared straight. So when I was a kid in England, I found in the garbage room at the bottom of the apartment building this massive stack of Reader's Digests. And I read them like crazy when I was young because, again, nothing on TV and we couldn't afford books. So I just found this mass stack of I used to read uh, Humor in Uniform was pretty funny. Laughter is the Best Medicine was great. Drama in Real Life was fantastic. And I remember reading these uh, scared straight stories, right? They used to take these kids into prisons and terrifying what the, you know, are you ready to be some big man's girlfriend? And just, you know, terrifying. So there's no stories that examine the wrecked lives of women over 40 because the women always complain, I, I just, I'm invisible. I mean, I, I turned 40 and it's like, I just, I put an invisibility cloak on, like nobody could see me anymore. Nobody paid any attention to me. It's like, I wasn't even there. Clerks didn't come over. I, I could stand around and people would just walk around me and like nobody wolf whistled. I'm like, nobody, nobody asked me out. Nobody had nothing. Nothing. Well, that's only if you're single. If you're happily married and you got kids and you got grandkids coming, people are going to pay you a lot of attention because you're still providing value. You've got wisdom. You've got love. You've got bond. You've got connection. So these women, all you understand, they're all being fucking tossed out into space. They're all being tossed out into space. Oh, just sleep around. And what is it, Sheryl Sandberg with Lean In? It's, oh, yeah, just go sleep with a whole bunch of guys. And that's freedom. No. That is castration for women. Castration. 
So then you have to, as a society, you have to stop putting out all these weird rumors like, oh yeah, women in their 40s, they're in the sexual prime and they want it. And it's like, no, they don't. They're in perimenopause. <laughs> they're not in their sexual prime. Oh, the cougars, they're, ah, no, 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 no. And then you have to sell these ridiculous fantasies to women like, oh God, what was it? Uh, Bridget Jones' diary, one of the movies was like, here's Colm Fiore and Hugh Grant both want to desperately be with this woman who's over 40. <laughs> It's like, no, they don't. No, they don't. Have you seen that graph of like Leonardo DiCaprio's girlfriend? Well, he had terrible childhood surrounded by serial child abusers. And I can't even imagine what happened to the guy. He can't possibly have a functional adult relationship. But, you know, you see this like, won't date a woman over 25 because he's good looking and he's handsome and he's talented and successful and wealthy. Anyway, so these women, this is conveyor belt of women being lied to being lied to, lied to, massively lied to. And this conveyor belt of women are all, you ever see that Simpsons thing? It's like the escalator to nowhere. Everyone's riding up the escalator and at the end, ah, 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 right? Everybody's falling. That's women. Women are constantly being fucking jetted off into space, never to be seen again. They are yeeted off the planet. They're among us. Eh, among us, yeeted into space. Anyway, they're among us, but they're not there. They're there, not there. And it's, it's god-awful. For a woman who desperately needs to be loved, who desperately needs community, men could survive alone better than women can. There's lots of things women can do better. But men. So the women who desperately have all this attention and, and they're, they're told to use this attention and don't worry about it and the guy, right guy's going to come along and take your time and then boom! It's like Gandalf in, in The Hobbit talking to the trolls right what is it 70 years since it was published i think we can have a spoiler or two so the the trolls when they're hit by sunlight they turn to stone and what he does is he gets the trolls arguing amongst themselves and because he doesn't fight the trolls directly he just distracts them until the sunlight takes them out and this is what happens with women in our society it's brutal vicious women hating misogynistic hellhole that we have been and it's been inflicted upon us that we've kind of inherited from the momentum of less courageous people. So the woman desperately wants community, desperately wants love, desperately wants children, desperately wants to be a matriarch. And all they're doing is saying, oh, just have fun. Oh, go to school. Oh, just postpone. Oh, just travel. Oh, just have fun. Have a little wine. Have a girl's night out. And then boom, she's, she's now kind of have kids, right? And then, yeah, to help with you, we're done with you. Now we're going to work on the next 20-year-old. Oh, just go to school. Oh, date around. Oh, have fun. Oh, lean in. Oh, be a professional. Oh, be a power girl. Oh, go to travel. Go to Ibiza. Have an affair with a torrid Latino in Spain. Oh, go. Ah, fun. Ah. Oh, great. Infertile. Boom. Okay, next one. And we're just whittling down our population. Whittling down our population. And the men are an integral part of this. Sex matters, not family. Sex matters, not commitment. Sex matters, not love. Hotness matters, not quality. You know, in the Paris Hilton documentary, she, she has this whole list of, she's got all these iPads, like dozens of iPads. And they're all iPads that her boyfriends have smashed up and broken because they can't get into them or they find something they don't like. or Because, you know, she's a deeply damaged person. And I say this with great sympathy. 
but the guys are part of the equation. You ever, you know, oh, the women are so bad. The women just think, they, they go for the alphas and they're hypergamy and Brufo's law and blah, right? Manosphere, blah, blah, blah. Okay, come on. You ever date a crazy woman just because she was hot? You ever go for the woman who was dressed provocatively and flirting rather than the woman who was more conservative and straight-laced? You ever go with sex for quantity over quality? Ever? Come on, of course you have. You're part of the problem. Just withdrawing as if men aren't part of the problem. And then just complaining about women. You addicted to pornography and then you want a healthy sex life with a woman? Come on. Come on. <laughs> so, women have it tougher. Because women from the age of 40 to 80, and a lot of them will live to 90, right? It's a half century. A half century is almost as long as I've been alive. And that's what women have to deal with, being invisible, isolated, alone, lonely. Because they got no church, they got no community, they got no kids, they got no husband, they get almost no male attention. Now maybe, just maybe, they'll be like some woman I talked to a couple of years ago, estrogen-based parasites, where she's a woman in her 50s, but she'll date a guy in his 70s hoping he'll die so she can get his house. Which she can then inhabit like a ghost. Yay, I hope I get to haunt a dead guy's house. That's... Instead of, wow, great, I got eight grandchildren who all love me and want to spend time with me and I can spoil rotten because I can send them home with their parents. Instead of that, he's like, I hope this old guy dies so I can sit alone in his house. I hope I can become a squatter in a crypt. You say, oh, but, but women earned it themselves. I'm like, Come on, have some sympathy. You get, as long as, they, as long as we're turning on each other, and I've done it. I've done it. I'm not, I'm not preaching from a place of perfection here. Trust me. I never am. I never am pre preaching from a place of perfection. But if you can get you, if they can get you to be mad at women who are going to suffer a lot more in the current society than you will as a man, if they can get you to be mad at women, you're done. They've won. They've won. Maybe you should expand your horizons. Go watch Shallow Hell. All right. So that's you started to read Almost to the Baby. <laughs> no, I wasn't reading Almost. I wasn't reading Almost. Okay, let's get a couple of comments and then we can jump into a QA. The unconditional love thing really hits home. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to you have to get the closure with the unconditional love stuff. Does lack of unconditional love mean you don't want to return anything to society? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you, you don't want to participate in society. Steph, what's your opinion on marriages that experiment sexually to spice up their marriage? Does it violate the non-aggression principle? Uh, it's strange, but in a workplace recently, I had an insanely beautiful redhead and some others opening up to me while the others didn't. I'm something like that. What if they don't grow up as virtuous? No, but, but virtue, loving children is filling them up with virtue. It's like filling your gas tank and saying, well, what if my gas tank isn't full? It's like, well, it is. All right. Izzy is too scary to play against. She is very good. Yeah, she's very good. Your daughter is wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you. Loving a baby isn't congruent with the definition of love. It's something else, probably infatuation. So, yeah, I mean, I've said love is our involuntary response to virtue. But that's adult love, not child love. Uh, that's like saying human beings should be self-sufficient, but that's adults, not children. Men are becoming educated to pass up the thoughts. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Women sell their sexuality in order to compete in the professional space. Well, sure. 
women, and I've said this before, and I really don't give a shit if people get mad at it because that's all water under the bridge. But uh, yeah, I mean, a woman who, like a woman who's wearing a lot of makeup in, in a work environment is coming in front of you, right? Because it's what, what, a woman who wears a lot of lipstick in particular and cheek rouge. So lipstick and cheek rouge, when a woman has an orgasm, <laughs> I've heard, <laughs> when a woman has an orgasm, her cheeks flush and her lips become red. So cheek rouge and lipstick are literally simulating an orgasm. You know, you, you might as well be Meg Ryan, you know, having a climax at a table while some other woman says, oh, I'll have what she had. Right. So a woman who is faking an orgasm at work by wearing makeup, she's faking an orgasm at work. I wonder why there aren't more tech CEOs. <laughs> Can you imagine? Sir, what, um, we're having trouble with clause 17 of this contract. Oh, <laughs> Can you imagine doing that uh, with somewhat more realism? <laughs> <laughs> there's your gift but um can you imagine like pretending to have an orgasm is part of your negotiation but that's women in makeup at work right? i saw this 50 year old overweight woman who had 1200 2300 matches on tinder so it's not only the young ones that have it easy sorry do you think that she has it easy because she has 2300 matches how the hell is she going to choose who the hell is she going to settle down with no 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 it's not easy you just blew my mind. I'm here to blow, baby. I'm here to blow. Like a seven. <laughs> Trying to get a 10. She brags on Twitter showing photos of her getting love letters and chocolate all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's very sad. It's very sad. Uh, yeah, you need. You got to hear about the incentives. Women love funny guys. Yes, that's very true because um, uh, there's a lot of darkness in femininity and you got to constantly helium them up to higher places. Although that's certainly not true. My wife is much more positive than I am in, in many ways. And it's quite, quite lovely. Actually, not quite lovely. It's completely lovely. Ah, uh, let's see here. Taco cat coin. Oh, that's pretty funny. There will always be a simp willing to provide for an old woman for some attention and, and sex. Well, so here's the thing. Yeah, I mean... What is the most Googled phrase around sexuality these days? What is the symptoms of chlamydia, right? Because STDs are going through the roof. Yeah, so in old age homes, there's a lot of uh, STDs and, and our selected sexuality. But uh, if a woman is in her 60s or her 70s and still needs to hang the golden V in order to get a man to come to her house, uh, that's pretty, pretty sad. Pretty sad. Oh, please. Women have 35 to 40 years to make up their minds. What are you talking about? Of course they don't. Of course they don't. A woman usually doesn't even start thinking about dating seriously until her mid to late 20s, so she has five years. Five years. I don't know where you're getting this from. E even if you say 20 to 35, that's only 15 years. Men's market value later in life is predicated on money and status. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, any tips on earning income in a tough economy? Um, f find something that people want that only you can provide and market it like crazy. <laughs> what can I tell you? Why would you care about your market value later in life if you already bought everything you need? Can't you stop thinking about money? I don't know what the hell that means. Sorry. There's a high buck dating industry targeted at women in their 50s. Well, yeah, for sure. But all the high quality men don't want to date women in their 50s. They'll date younger men, right? Oh, younger women, sorry. Younger women. 
Uh, one woman when I knew thought women peaked at 30. She was projecting her feelings about men peaking onto women. Ooh, that's, uh. All right, let's scroll down a little just in case. Um, what do we got here? Do you have any tips or advice on how you would help prepare daughters? I have three for these challenges. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, age appropriate as they get older, start talking about this kind of stuff and help them to understand that um, they, you know, sexuality is a healthy and wonderful part of life, but it should never be the foundation of a relationship at all. Just like, you know, money is an important part of life. It shouldn't be the foundation of a relationship, right? So let's see here. Steph, that argument about women having lost 90% of eggs by 30 is a bad argument. Most are already gone by birth. <laughs> are you trying to tell me that fertility hasn't declined from 20 to 30? Come on. Uh, most of the women at my gym are wearing yoga pants with sport top bra. It's hard not to look while working out. Well, of course, they're there to be looked at. But they probably don't want you to approach them. She, right, so a woman wants uh, uh, the alpha, uh, a 10 woman wants a 10 men to approach her, but she's got to put out signals so that everyone approaches us. She's got to be really cold to everyone, right? to just about everyone, right? But serious, how many women can go outside without their face on? So a little bit of makeup is fine. I got no problem with that. It's a social convention and all that, but uh, that is just the way, just the way it is, right? Ah, let's see here. Uh, how can hypergamy be stopped or reversed? Why, why on earth would you want hypergamy to be stopped or reversed? You realize that's why we evolved and why we have a civilization, right? Why, why do men go to Mars so they can brag about it to women? Do you know how many women the astronauts in the 60s had sex with? It was insane. So yeah, the, the idea that we would want to stop or reverse hypergamy, uh, it's, I don't know. It just seems to me, why, why would you want to stop or reverse the free market. I don't know. All right. Well, let's let's drop something in here just in case people have a chatty chat that they want to uh, uh, go on with. And uh, unmute that and that. And uh, if you guys want to talk about anything, this is like the free for all time. So if you guys want to talk about anything, I will um, give you the uh, the chat. Um, let me just put it in here and we can talk about anything that you want, anything that you want. No topic is off limit. No topic is too something, something. All right. Hang on a sec here. I should really, uh, oh yes, that's right. I have this. <laughs> I should do that. All right. There we go. How to tell if a woman is interested in you after a few dates? Well, does she, you ask her out again, does she say yes? And if she says no, does she suggest an alternate time? Uh, what about good-looking women who marry alcoholics? Well, it just means that's all they think they're worth, right? It's all, all they think they're worth. I mean, that's what you get in life. You get in life what you bargain for. You get in life what you settle for. You get in life what you think you're worth. worth. And it is, you know, it is kind of confusing, of course, to men who look at a beautiful woman and say, oh, my God, you could have anything. You could have anyone. And then she ends up with some, you know, like Britney Spears, very attractive woman. And she ends up with, what, Kevin Federline? Like, come on, give me a break. What if a woman tries to go for a 10 without the sex offering? Would she still use sexual market value? Yes. That's why I said it doesn't hugely matter whether they have sex or not in terms of the consequence. Because if she really goes for a 10 and sort of pursues a 10, and what was that scene from the old movie uh, Saturday Night Live where the woman just 
throws all these condoms at the guy saying, let's do it. Um, then she's saying that she doesn't, she's not able to rationally judge her own market value. And whoever is not a 10 who's with her is she's going to feel like she's settled and she's going to be discontented and unhappy and probably going to have an affair. So no, 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 no. Uh, what do you think about keeping your house car clean and presentable as a bachelor? Well, you want to keep it presentable, but you don't want to look gay, right? So if I convince myself that I'm a 10, can I get a 10? No. Uh, how many date nights do you have with Christina? And does that help release stress? Uh, I'm not too stressed. Um, uh, we should have more, I suppose, but um, not, not that easy at lockdown when you're homeschooling, right? So. How to deal if a woman in a relationship keeps wearing revealing clothing? Well, um, you, you would say, if you've bought the car, why are you going back to the dealership? I don't understand. Like, you've already attracted the guy. Do you, do you want to attract another guy? It's, oh, I just want to look good for you. It's like, well, no, we can do that in private. <laughs> I don't need you to look like this anymore. And you just talk about how you feel, right? And if she cares about you, then she'll care about how you feel. And if it bothers you, and you know, then... Don't you try and control me. It's like, why, I'm not allowed to have preferences? Come on. When a woman says, uh, often, or when anyone says in a relationship, don't you try and control me. It's like, don't you dare have an opinion that goes against my immediate preferences. <laughs> it's our selected mindset. Probably kind of dangerous. But... Uh, right. Do we have, did I put this in? Yeah. So you, if you want to chat, go, go for it. And um, you will need to uh, unmute yourself. I think it's default muted. In here, if you have a, a, a topic uh, that you wanted to bring up or anything like that, I would be uh, happy to hear. Let me just stop talking for a sec in case you guys have something. But yeah, don't forget to unmute. Oh, uh, sorry. I guess I have to do something too. Yes, uh, you're on. Uh, hang on, hang on. Can you can you hear me? Hello. Oh yeah, there you go. How you doing, man? Okay, good, good. Hi, Steph. Hi. Uh, one question. Um, a friend of mine uh, just told me that she's really uh, low in life, and uh, that she, um, I think she was considering suicide, um, and it just happened that two days after she had these thoughts, um, a friend of her friend um, actually took his life and this obviously really shook her and um yeah i just want to get your thoughts how to approach this um because obviously i don't want to uh rush in speak to all the people in her family and so on that may um you know shake things up too much um i'm not super close to her just um know her for a couple months yeah, I just wanted to get your uh, thoughts on that. So, do you know why she is so down? Um, I have spoken to her, uh, and there was in her childhood uh, many um, bad things. I think um, her. Uh, dad i'm so sorry to be annoying could i just ask you to speak a little faster because this is going to take all night and it's kind of hypnotic for me and for the listeners as a whole so if you can just squeeze your your toothpaste tube and get the toothpaste out a little faster i'd hugely appreciate it thank you i don't mean to sound insensitive it's just i want to make sure that i can follow the convo and it's a bit hypnotic when you speak that slowly 
Yeah, sorry, it's two a.m. here, so I'll speed up. So, um, in in her childhood, um, her her dad, um, I think abused her or brought her in a situation where other uh, people came into her life that abused her. I think uh, sexually, and she also has some sleeping problems. And, oh, so she was uh, sorry. She, her father brought other pedophiles into her life to rape her as a child. Yes, seventeen or eighteen, I think she was. Oh man, that's brutal. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Yes, um, now, but what about your um, history? Why why are you around these people who are kind of hanging by a thread? Do you have a history where you take care of fragile people? Did you have that as a child? Um, maybe. Um, I was not. I was not abused. I was maybe neglected as a kid. No, but that um, wasn't. Sorry, that wasn't my question, and I, I'm sorry that you were neglected. Do you have a history where you would focus on the needs of others and not have your own needs when you were a child? Like, did you have somebody who was underfunctioning in your household, maybe a mom or a dad, that you had to kind of take care of or or think more about their needs than your own? Yes, I think uh, that, that was my mother. Um, she was um, depressed after uh, we were born i have an older sister and she was like a ghost i would assume um so as a kid i would have to be really sensitive to her needs um i think that's that may be a reason right so you have and i i sympathize with this enormously so you have a life habit which you developed as a child to focus on saving women right propping up women, holding up women who were hanging by a thread. Yes, I can follow that. Right. So this is why this woman is in your life. And if you, you, you can't help her coming from that place. See, here's the thing. If, if you have a habit of needing to prop up women, you will forever be searching for women to prop up. In other words, you can't help them because you need them to be hanging by a thread because of past repetition compulsion. And, and again, I, I'm sorry this is so accelerated, but I assume you've listened to the show before. So uh, you can, I've got a free book, Real-Time Relationships, where I talk about this uh, in an analogy called Simon the Boxer. Uh, Simon the Boxer becomes a boxer because he got into a lot of fights with his dad. His dad would beat him up and he would try and defend himself as a kid. And so managing violence was the only way he could be in control as a kid. He couldn't control the violence, but he could control his reaction to the violence. And so because the only way that he knows to feel any sense of control is to be in a violent situation, that's why he becomes a boxer. It doesn't solve the problem. And so if you need women in your life because of your mother, or not specifically because of your mother, but because it's probably not conscious or processed. So if you need damaged women in your life, then you can't help her. Like you can suggest that she get to a professional, which is probably helpful. Uh, but uh, you yourself have a probably a, a repetition compulsion to prop up women. And therefore, you're probably around a lot of damaged women. And I sympathize with them. And I, I sympathize with you that none of this is a criticism. It's hopefully just a bit of illumination. But it means that you probably can't help them. Because let me ask you this. Were you able to help your mom? Uh, no. Right. You, you can't. You can't. You can't help you. You can't parent your parents. You can't fix your parents. You can never fix your parents as a kid. And even as an adult, it's practically impossible. So I think what you need to do is if you say to yourself, because if, it, when, if your mom is non-functional, you like to pretend that you can help her so that you feel like you have some control in a horrible situation. You have some effect, some influence in a horrible situation. Now, the truth of the matter is you could not fix your mom. 
you're not responsible for her depression. And there's nothing you could have done to change the outcome of that situation. But it's a very painful thing to go through because it goes back through a lot of despair that we warded off by pretending we could do something about an impossible situation. My mother was violent. What could I do about that? There was absolutely nothing I could do about that. I, all I could do was navigate it and survive it and manage it. Why? Because even when I was an adult, she was still violent. And she was, you know, she had she had friends. Uh, she'd go over to a friend's place and, and the friend's boyfriend would be so uh, violent that he, he actually held them at gunpoint for an entire evening, uh, threatening them. And right, this is, she's just addicted to violence. This, I can't, you know, maybe the war, who knows, right? But I couldn't, I can't fix that. And I could never fix her even with all the resources and money and independence that I had as an adult. So can't, can't fix it. Can't fix, you can't, you can rarely fix anyone, but you sure as heck can't fix your own parents. So if you understand that you couldn't fix your mom, there was nothing you can do, but you got addicted to in a, it's a survival mechanism. It's a perfectly healthy one to do when you're a kid. You don't want to hang on to it when you're an adult, but you had a mechanism called, I can fix this. And that's the only way you could live with it for many, many years where you had no control. And it was, it, if you had accepted that you couldn't live with it, or you couldn't change it. If you had accepted that you couldn't change it, it had nothing to do with you and it would never change, you wouldn't get out of bed. You, you'd be too depressed to even function and you probably wouldn't have survived. So imagining that you have control over the uncontrollable is the only way we get through these things. But then we have to let go of that because, you know, when you get to shore, you let go of the life raft, right? You let go of the lifeboat. And you couldn't fix your mom. You can't fix this woman. Certainly you can't fix this woman because it's coming out of the stuff with your mom. So if you accept that you're not responsible for what your mom did, you couldn't have fixed it. There was nothing you could do. That's a painful thing to accept, but it will free you from this kind of situation uh, because the amount of trauma that is embedded in a woman whose father pimped her out to pedophiles, the amount of trauma embedded in that, I mean, that's Ben Carson-style brain surgery. That's not, um, well, I care about her, and that's going to get better, right? I mean, if somebody had a very complex wound, you would you would send them to a specialist. You wouldn't sit there and hope that your positive thoughts and feelings would somehow heal them, right? Yes, agree. So, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about this. And her leaning on you... Um, you, you're going to probably end up not helping her. And, and so she's trying to reproduce not being helped by men or being harmed by men. Uh, and that's probably her repetition compulsion. So uh, I would definitely refer her to a professional or suicide hotline uh, and all of that kind of stuff. That would be my uh, particular approach. That's, that's, that's some really, really heavy stuff. And uh, she's going to need a, a lot of resources to, to deal with that. Yeah, yeah I, I get that. Um... Th thanks for running me through that. Maybe You're very welcome. Question. You're very welcome. I, I hope it works out well. And, and thank you for, for your honesty. But yeah, if you find yourself like really wanting to help people, listen, I think that's a great thing. I, I want to help people. But you have to say, am I, do I want to help people because of something in my own past that I don't want to deal with, right? Somebody says, yeah. uh, my mother died trying to fix her parents. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. My mother absolutely worshipped and adored her dad, right? And this is where it shielded me from some of her abuse in that she associated me with her father. I look a little bit like him and, and I'm a writer like, like he was and all that. And, but, but she would always say, my mother would always say the same thing. She probably still does, right? She would always say the same thing. So, oh God, she got into a fight with her siblings over the father's funeral. 
who paid for the flowers, who was supposed to pay the flowers. And the whole family just blew up over these stupid flowers. And my mother would always say that on his deathbed, her father said to her, of all my children, you're the only one who ever made it, who ever made sense. She would always tell me this. Oh, of all my children, you're the only one who ever made sense. Now, I don't know if it was true. I don't know if he was drugged. I don't. I mean, I don't know if it's true that he said it. I, I certainly don't think of... If my mom was the best of his kids, I shudder to think, right? What, what the heck else was going on, right? Somebody says here, crisis text line. Text home to 741-741, National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-8255. It could be helpful to pass that along as well. All right, got another little bit of time here, my friends. Um, if you want to, uh, do you can you can you unmute yourself? So do I? I need to do it. I can't remember. But if you want to raise your hand or whatever, yes. Uh, here we go. Go for it, my friend. You are on, Mister C. Yes. Hi. Thank you. Uh, I just wanted to. Uh ask uh so i was given um ssris so uh things like um zoloft which is uh yeah antidepressant because i was having anxiety and essentially uh, my question is why i mean why do they rush to giving those meds i'm off of it now but shit when i think those are literally uh, beta pills if i may say so they're what Just, pills Beta, beta pills. Beta pill. Oh, they turn you into a beta from an alpha. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And my question is, why do the psychiatrists rush to give you those? Well, because the entire system is set up, unfortunately, for for this kind of stuff. So. Uh, now, none of this is medical advice, all just amateur outside opinion, as as you well know, uh, everyone here. So, And you could read Robert Whittaker's Mad in America, from, and there's a new version out that, that's well worth reading. So, uh, so very briefly, if you're a psychiatrist, then you can spend hours and hours and hours going through someone's trauma, going through someone's history, and, and so on. And uh, th- then maybe you can find the source of the anxiety and get them into a safer place, which is going to put them at odds with the abusers in their environment, just I assume they would be. And that's expensive, that's time-consuming, or you can spend 15 minutes going through a checklist, give them a pill, and charge full rate. I mean, unfortunately, it's just the way it goes. If you are dealing with a teenager, well, the teenager, let's say the teenager is 15, right? So if you find out that there's abuse in the family, the parents can complain to you, they can report you to the board, they can get mad at you, they can threaten you, whereas the kid can't do anything to you. So why on earth would you want to take on abusive parents? Uh, you just drug, drug the kid and say, well, that's, that's the issue. Psychiatrists uh, often get uh, some very, very nice conferences. Uh, they get flown out, they get put up, they get little presentations, they get to spend a lot of time at the beach. And they also get to speak at these conferences if they talk about these wonderful drugs and, and so on. And if they don't do any of this stuff, well, they um, don't do very well. So psychiatrists, of course, you know, where does dysfunction come from? I talked about this in the Freud episode. So where does, where does craziness, dysfunction come from? Well, I'm sure some of it's organic. Some of it's probably genetic. I think most of it's environmental. It's just my, obviously, amateur opinion. Most of it's environmental. And I know this from personal experience. If you, if you sympathize with the victims of abuse, the abusers will turn on you. I mean, obviously, there's a reason why people don't do it, even though it's something that we all say we should do. We should obviously sympathize with the victims of abuse. But when you actually do that, the abusers turn on you. And children have no say in our society. 
children are just tossed around and exploited and attacked and beaten and raped and drugged and, and hooked into schools for the profits of leftist politicians and, and indoctrinated. I mean, they just completely exploited and used in ungodly ways, uh, uh, truly un ungodly ways. And as the, you know, the marginalized, the, you know, they say the racialized, the marginalized, the vulnerable, the voiceless, and so on, that's all kids, all kids, all races, males, females, I don't care, all kids. Our society survives only on the exploitation of children. Our current society survives only on the exploitation of children. We are a child-fucking-sacrifice society because children have to be tossed in schools where they're bullied, where they experience far higher levels of sexual abuse than any kids in a, in a Catholic church ever experience per capita, right? They are a drugged if they don't conform. They are thrown to the wolves if the father is, as is so often the case, removed from the society, from the family, either through the soft welfare state or the hard family courts. And of course, we sell off our children's future to foreign banksters to bribe people into supporting their own enslavement through politics and the national debt. Um, we are a child sacrifice society. We are a brutal, Incan, murderous cut open their hearts metaphorically and sacrifice them to the gods that only drink the tears of children, that's that's who we are. We are, are an Old Testament, ancient child sacrifice society. And we have set up a society wherein children have absolutely no say. They don't vote. I'm not saying they should vote, you understand? I'm just saying this is the way things work. And the future society that's going to have to deal with the abuse victims of children in terms of criminality, promiscuity, drug addiction, uh, um, uh, obesity, and so on. There's no way to pay. There's no funding mechanism to pay for the good treatment of children. In fact, so many of our funding mechanisms are dependent upon the terrible treatment of children, of which the drugging of children is just one. So unfortunately, and again, I, you know, I'm talking about uh, with psychiatrists and, and other professionals, and some of them are good, obviously, and, and some of them do treat their children well and do treat adults well and get deep down into the psychology and, and deal with abusers and so on. I don't think there's too many, but there's certainly some. But that's just the way the system is set up. The way the system is set up is if, if you're a single mom and you can get your kid onto these meds, you get paid sometimes $600, $700 more a month because your child is now disabled, right? So you get extra money and the pills are paid for. So people are just making a lot of profit off the chemical destruction of a lot of children's minds. Not yours. I'm going to say destruction with many kids, right? And, um, you know, some of these SSRIs, they can shrink brain mass. They can cause uh, tachycardia symptoms. They can cause a bell palsy. They can do just uh, wretched stuff, wretched stuff. And I mean, you, so, yeah, unfortunately, it's just a system that's set up this way. And uh, it's all, you know, it's like, well, without the state, who's going to who's going to fund gain of function research in bat coronaviruses? And without the state, who's going to pay for the drugging of children for issues which never show up on a medical test? So I'm really sorry that you got caught up in this. I, I, I thank my lucky stars that I was born before this giant wave. Society has a problem with traumatized people. Where do they, where do they come from? Where do mentally messed up people come from? Well, bombinthebrain.com. They, they come from child abuse. 
Who has the incentive to talk about that? Who profits from talking about that? Who, other than, you know, crazy people like me who have a magic mission from God, so to speak, I mean, who's going to do it? Who's going to do it? Because parents don't want it talked about. A lot of parents in this society, the society you live in, on the fucking street you live in, a lot of parents are criminal, even by the current legal standards. They beat their kids. They assault their kids. They starve their kids. They neglect their kids. They don't provide their kids health care or adequate food or nutritional food. They cause the kids to be obese or too skinny. They stunt their growth. They sexually abuse them. They molest them. They rape them. Right? We got one in five boys and one in three girls sexually abused as children. One in five boys, one in three girls. That's just what people talk about. It's a, uh, that's the real pandemic. It's the real pandemic. Look how much we mobilized over a disease with a 99.996 survival rate. Look how little we mobilized to protect children from this abuse. And then when I said society is full of shit and evil, that's what I'm talking about. It's, it's a grim spectacle to look at. It really is. And, uh, until we deal, you know, we're talking about racism, sexism, homophobia, Islamophobia. What about prejudice against children? What about childism? They're the real voiceless in society. One of the reasons I desperately want a free society is so that children will be protected. And I've gone through the mechanisms. I'll talk about it perhaps another time. You can go to freedomain.com forward slash books and look at my free books, Everyday Anarchy, Practical Anarchy. I talk about how children will be protected in a free society. So evil people, Abusive people, destructive people, people who violently, verbally, sexually assault and cripple children. They are producing this conveyor belt of disturbed people in the world. And everybody looks at that conveyor belt and says, well, where did they come from? Where, where are all these damaged people coming from? Where are all these promiscuous people? Where are all these people who are addicted to drugs? Where are all these people who have blue hair and scream in people's faces? Where are all these people who... Where are all these Karens coming from? Where are all these disturbed and dysfunctional people coming from? Oh, they're coming from child abuse. We can't say that. Can't say that. So psychiatrists are basically paid by society. So children don't get hurt. A lot of the mental health, in my opinion, in my opinion, basically they pay society to say, oh, well, the problem is not pedophilia or physical abuse or verbal abuse or neglect. The problem is, um, well, it used to be demonology. It used to be demonic possession. People don't really believe that as much anymore. We certainly don't want to talk about child abuse. Um, so let's say chemical imbalance. Can we, can we say that? Oh, can you measure for that chemical imbalance? No. Any blood tests that shows that chemical imbalance? No. But again, I can't really get people to believe in demonic possession anymore because we're kind of a materialistic age. So you know what? In order to cover up the child abuse and the child abusers, let's just say, yeah, chemical imbalance. Aren't people going to want a drug test for that? No. I don't think they will. Well, why not? I mean... If you're going to put people on powerful drugs because of a supposed chemical imbalance, shouldn't, wouldn't they require evidence for that chemical imbalance? No. Well, why not? Well, I'll tell you why not. Because it's an amazing thing. Because 
the people who are bringing these kids in are likely the abusers. So they're going to be very happy if we don't explore whether the children are abused. They're going to be very happy if we make up this chemical imbalance thing and drug the shit out of the kids. Because that way, the witness is silenced and the crime is covered up. So, yeah, that's my, my amateur outside opinion. No science, no facts, just my my opinion about all of this. So I hope that helps. Last question, if anybody has. I'm happy to hear. Well, I wouldn't say happy. I'm eager. Uh, it's not always a happy thing to hear. But I'm, I'm eager. That's uh, probably a better way. Or I will. I will. All right. Uh, what have I got here that I can't see? Oh, yes. <laughs> of the 12,000 windows. Uh, if, oh, uh, sorry. We got, uh, oh, you got a pop of people. Uh, Miss J.M., You are with me, my fur lady. Actually, you might not be a fur oh. lady. You might be a fair lady. How you doing? Uh, I'm. I'm. Um. I could be better, actually. Um. Yeah. Um. I don't know how to say this. My. Um. Well, I guess he's now my ex-boyfriend. He broke up with me about two weeks ago. We were seeing each other for about four months. Things are going okay and good and all that. And, and, uh, you know, I was like, you know what, he's going to be my last. Like, I, I don't want anybody else after this. And, and he had a bunch of stuff go on in his life. His, uh, he had a bunch of stressful things go on, like his car needed new tires and all these things kept happening. And then his aunt passed away. And then that's when he broke up with me. And, uh, you know, all I wanted to do is be there for him. And he kind of pushed me away. And he, that's when he broke up with me. And, yeah, and I'm um, I'm gonna be 35 in like two months. Oh gosh, I'm and, sorry. Uh, I'm sorry about that. Did you did you have pretty good hopes for this relationship? Oh yeah, really? Because we talked about all the important stuff in the beginning, and he said he wanted kids and and all this stuff, and and you know I talked about you know like stay at home parent thing, and he was good with that, and and I was like, hey, great, this is. And also we met like through friends. So it wasn't like a, an online dating thing, which was. So the, these are people so, who thought that you would be compatible, right? There's some positive stuff there. It's yeah. not just like some computer algorithm that cross your fingers, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, um, and, and they're all, my friends are also kind of pretty displeased in him and how he's acting right now. And he's pushing everybody away and. And I get he's got a lot of stuff going on, but I'm like, you know, uh, I don't know. I'm, I've crawled out of an abyss in my childhood. I had to do oh, so much. And I've come so far, but it's like really difficult. What happened in your childhood? Actually, here's the funny thing. You and I have spoke like, about, I think three years ago, uh, we were, I told you, um, my mom had like 25 cats and... Uh, oh my gosh. Oh, that's so funny. Because I recognize the name and the picture, but I never want to say, hey, we talk because I'm wrong. Like, that's kind of embarrassing, right? So, oh, wow. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I chickened out last week. I I didn't know what... The, it was still new. I was, I'm hoping to kind of try to get him back. Uh, well, now, what did, what did he say? Sorry to interrupt. What, what did he say about... Why he was breaking up? Did he was it like circumstances, or it's a bad time, or like was there something in particular? 
that he said? Uh, well, he actually sent me a message. It was really upsetting to me, but I ran over there right away. Um, his original message says that he's not my, he's like, I'm not your forever person. And, uh, you know, he's thinking about what he wants now. And, and, um, uh, when I went there to talk to him, cause I was like, I'm coming over and he's like, you know, please don't, but I, it was too late. I was already driving there. Um, I got there and he's like, I don't think I'd be a good dad. Um, I, I don't want kids anymore. I'm freaking out. And my friend talked to him that night and he was explaining, saying that he was worried about genetic health issues that he didn't, you know, he was like scared he was going to die and leave a family behind. He had all these fears that just all of a sudden came up and apparently he had a giant anxiety attack like two weeks prior to him breaking up with me about having a family and, uh, and he like decided he doesn't want kids anymore. And I'm, I think he would be a good dad. Um, he's really nice. But what? Uh, his aunt died, right? Is he? Is he, yeah. is, is he also in his thirties? Yeah, he's uh, just a year older than me. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, if your aunt dies in your twenty, that's one thing. But in your mid late thirties, it's not. You know, entirely, yeah. like she was in her 60s or whatever, right? So it's not entirely like, oh, my gosh, where could this possibly have come from, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, yeah, apparently she had, like, a brain tumor and, like, cancer and heart disease and all kinds of stuff. Like, he just... Oh, is that part of the I, genetics that has got him freaked out? Uh, I guess so. I haven't been able to actually talk to him straight up one-on-one -on -one yet about it all. It's just been very, like, I've been messaging him like hey how are you holding up you know uh, you know trying to i don't know stay in his life but he's giving me like these really short answers and i'm just like freaking out so it does sound like just over four months he completely reversed his values right like he wants kids then he doesn't want kids he wants a long-term relationship and then he's not your forever person it's it did he just kind of like do a 180 as far as his values? Yeah. Went. Yeah. He just totally like did this and it caught me like totally off guard. Like everything seemed like it was going good. He was just stressed out. So I didn't really, I no, guess but I should No, but here's the thing. And I, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but so stress, right? Stress. Life has stress. You know, you said his, his tires needed replacing, his aunt dies and so on. I don't know you know, on one to 10 yeah. or whatever, right? Yeah. But life is going to have stress. Life life is going to yeah, have stress, right? And and the idea that stress breaks people up, no, no, no. We need relationships in part because we have stress in our life and we need people to talk about it with us, to be talked out of our tree, to not panic too much, to get a sense of perspective. So the idea, oh, a guy broke up with me because he was stressed, is like, you should be his safe harbor or he should view you as a safe harbor as the place to go where you deal with stress, not where there's yeah, I know. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I wanted to be there for him, and, and he pushed me away, and I'm just like, uh, yeah. like What? So there may have been or there may not have been red flags. Often there are, but, you know, sometimes guys are really good at this. Because and it's funny because we were just talking about this. I don't know if you listened to the whole show, but we were just I was just talking about this, how – you know, yeah. women really fear that a guy is going to say all the right things and then not follow through, right? I mean, it's, it's a terrible yeah. thing. 
because you, you've got to trust someone, particularly, at, you know, your age, you don't have quite as much time as you might want for kids and all of that. So you, you've got to trust. And, and if the guy says all the right things and he turns out that it's not all the right things, uh, that's, that's really terrible, right? It's that much harder to, to, to trust the next guy, right? And so was there anything when you look back at the beginning, was there anything where you say, ooh, you know what? Actually, come to think of it, you know, looking back, you know, with the hindsight of all of that, was there anything that you look back and say that was kind of a red flag? Um, not in particular about him changing his mind, but like, um, but there was things like, I guess that I wasn't happy with there. I was maybe nitpicking, like he smokes pot once in a while. Um, uh, but, and, and drinks sometimes, but he doesn't, he said he doesn't drink all the time and oh yeah we work opposite shifts so I wasn't able to get to know him quite as well as fast as I would have liked to but I assume because the values values lined up we could have maybe just jumped into it and you know I mean what I wasn't was his, gonna uh, date somebody. sorry sorry go ahead sorry I wasn't gonna date somebody who smoked pot I usually like when I talked I was trying to do the online thing and if they said they smoked pot I was out of there but I was like, well, you know, maybe I am being a little too picky. It's legal now where I am. And, you know, if somebody wants to have a couple of tokes and watch Well, look, I mean, so so, like, so people in the chat are like, pothead. It's like, okay, look, I mean, I'm not a fan of drugs, but um, if he's smoking no, once. No, I'm not either. If he's smoking twice a month, that's not quite the same as, you know, wake and bake, right? So. Um, yeah, yeah, that's what I was, that's what I said to myself. I was like, you know what, maybe I could let that one go, like, just relax about it but uh. now um so his car tires needed a replacement and this was a big stressor for him i assume that meant that he's kind of broke uh yeah well actually he owes money too he owes like um i don't know like 12 grand or something not too much i mean i could i was also like the day he broke up with me i wanted to i was we had it planned i was going to go over there and i wanted to talk to him about things and maybe come up with a plan like go hey like i got an idea how will we like shack up and you know i can help you deal with your debt and let's get that out of the way let's start wait, wait, saving so money hang on, hang on. sorry so well, he's 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 36 years old is that right yeah he's 36 years old he's 12 grand in debt and he can't afford new to new tires um well are you really trying to tell me there's no red flags? I'm, I'm happy if you want to rewind no. and, and try that one again. Because that's a red Sorry, flag, isn't it? How on earth is he going to afford a wife and kids with a stay-at-home blah, 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 if, you know, he okay, can afford so weed, but he can't afford to fix his car? Sorry, he's he's he actually does have a very good job. Um, he, uh, without saying too much, um, he's a, a trained car mechanic. Okay, so why why is why is he sweating a twelve grand debt? Like why is like why is he broke if he's a trained car mechanic? I don't know. He said he he can do it. He just hasn't been disciplined enough to take care of it. And I'm like, okay, well, you know. Well, hang on. So a trained car mechanic, you know, can easily mm -hmm. make fifty, sixty, seventy k a year, right? He says he makes about ninety k a year. Ninety k like, a year. What? Okay, so he makes yeah. about ninety k yeah. a year. Is there evidence that he makes ninety mm -hmm. k a year? In other words, does he live in a decent place? Does he? Um, have a decent card. It's like, does he have savings in the bank? Do you know? No, no, no. I, I haven't. So wh enough. where's all his money gone? I don't know. I don't know. He his car is actually more expensive. It's a BMW. So you know the the tires cost him like all the overtime he did. 
um, during the holidays. And, and I guess that was what really bummed him out. And he wanted well, to get but look, come on. He's, he's a car mechanic. Of all the people who shouldn't be surprised that cars can be expensive to maintain, a car mechanic should know that, right? That's like that's like but a dentist no, being no. shocked by plaque. Not, not a car mechanic, a train car mechanic. A, like a, a, what, a train? Choo-choo. Yeah, oh, a train, a train, a train mechanic. Okay, so mm-hmm. okay, so maybe not a car mechanic, but he's still aware that mechanical things need need maintenance, right? That's why he has a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, where where's his money? Look, that's that's a reasonable question. If look, if you're in your thirties and you want to be a stay at home mom, you need a guy mm-hmm. who's got some money, right? Who's got to pay. Now you can get you you don't need a huge amount of money. You can go and live in the country and you can grow your own food and have some chickens. Like there's lots of things you can do. I'd love to do that. Yeah, I'd love to do that. So. Yeah. So where where you know uh, he he's been a, a train mechanic for I assume quite quite a number of years, so oh, yeah. you know over ten years he's made close to a million dollars, right? I mean I know it's gross mm-hmm. and there's taxes and all that kind of stuff, right? But you know let's say he's mm-hmm. he's pulled home six, yeah, six yeah. seven hundred thousand dollars of that. Um, he says he pays about a minimum wage salary every year in taxes, so it's you know they take a lot from him. Mm, okay, so minimum wage is twelve bucks, which means he's paying twenty four thousand dollars a year in salary, yeah. which means he's got seventy six out of ninety. He's got seventy six thousand dollars a year left over after taxes, so that's not bad, right? Yeah. yeah. So where's all yeah, this money? That's a good question. I guess I could ask him. I think maybe he just. Well, I don't know if it matters now, <laughs> but yeah, well, that's a question to ask, right? Because if, if you're 30, 30, sorry, if you're 35 or 36 and you want to be a stay-at-home mom and so on, um, and the guy says, I'm making 90 grand a year, um, then mm-hmm. he should have some savings. He should have some money. He should have some assets. He should have, hey, if he had some Bitcoin, he would be able to buy a BMW plant, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, maybe he smokes more than you think, and maybe a lot of money of his is going on weed, although if it's legal, I'm sure it's cheaper. But, I mean, that would be the big question is, okay, how on earth are you sweating a 12 grand debt when you've been working at a high-paying job for 15 years, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I don't know why I just I feel like a gold digger if I ask a guy about his finances. It's like... Uh, I don't know. I just, um, yeah, it's like people say, oh, you know, I, I don't know. My mom used to, when, my, when, my, when I was little, my mom said to me, like, and I was like, my mom had a boyfriend or whatever, and he bought her a bunch of stuff. And uh, I was like, oh, I want some, like, clothes and stuff, too. And she's like, well, go get your own boyfriend to buy you stuff. Or go get right. a boyfriend to go buy you stuff. And then I was like, she, I don't know. Yeah, well, listen, have. men pay for families. Like that's, uh-huh. that's, I mean, you want to be a stay-at-home mom, right? Which I think is great. Yeah. Men, men pay for families. And if he wants you to raise his children, then he needs to talk about his finances. Mm-hmm. Of course. I mean, you wouldn't take a job without discussing pay of any kind and just, hey, I wonder what they're going to pay me. Let's open the paycheck and find out, right? And yeah. there is a financial material aspect to having kids, which is someone's got to pay for the kids and mm-hmm. someone's got to pay for someone to take care of the kids. And kids can be kind of pricey, right? It depends, you know, if they don't, if they need braces, uh, you know, could have health issues or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so 
if you're getting involved, you know, everybody's like, they've kind of sold this myth that, that marriage is, if you want kids, like it's just some flowers and chocolate and rose petals on the bed, romance and stuff like that. And that's part of it for sure. But, you know, maybe mm-hmm. I'm just an old Anglo-Saxon bastard. But for me, it's like there's a real practical nuts and bolts, money and bank and taxes and mortgage. And, you know, like it's just you got to have stuff yeah. if you want to raise kids. And again, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. You can go into the country and have the chickens and all that. But if he says, if you say, I want to be a stay-at-home mom, and he says, I want you to be a stay-at-home mom, I, then he's saying, I'm going to pay for this family. Now, if somebody yeah. says, I'm going to pay for this family, you're not a gold digger to say, okay, let's let's talk turkey here, right? Can can you do it? Do you have savings? Do you have assets? Do you have like, you know, uh, what what am I getting into? Because you're putting your financial, if he wants you to be a stay-at-home mom, you're putting your financial future in his hands and his hands alone. Mm-hmm. And so if, if you're saying to someone, if someone's saying to you, I want to hire you to be a stay-at-home mom, and he is hiring you. He's paying you to raise his children. Now, you love him and you love your children. So there's all of that beautiful love and romance and all that's in there. But, you know, Mm -hmm. love doesn't pay the bills, right? And so there's a nuts and bolts thing. He says, I want to hire you to be a full-time mother for my children. It's like, okay, so you are offering me a job. So Mm -hmm. I need to know what the pay is. I need to know whether the company is financially stable. Like, you're not going to take a job when the FBI is currently taking computers out of the business, right? <laughs> this is not probably going to do, you're not going to be Rudy Giuliani's secretary right now. So uh-huh. it's not being a gold digger. So your mom was in, so your mom was like, well, the guy should pay for me, never for the kids. But that's not what male finances are for. Male finances are for kids and, and the kids need a caregiver and the caregiver should be the mom. So that's, that's the deal, right? That's what, men should do, right? And, you know, it could be the other way around, right? could be the woman who earns a lot of money and after the breastfeeding thing, it's the man who who stays home, like, um, oh God, what was her name? Ke- Megan Kelly, like her husband was like a tech guy, CEO of a tech company. And then he's like, I want to be a writer. And so he became a writer, which I assume gives him a lot more time around the in the home. And, and she makes or made a lot of money and he doesn't make that much money as a writer. And so she makes, you know, it can be the other way around. Totally fine. It's not one way or the other. But, you know, you, you have every right, particularly your age, to say, okay, let's, let's you know, we, we, it's a compliment to a man to say, what are your finances? If the woman says to me when I was dating, well, what are your finances? It's kind of a compliment. I mean, she's thinking of you as a long-term father for her children, right? That's, that's a perfectly mm-hmm. sensible and reasonable thing to do. It's not being a gold digger. You're not your mom because you don't want the money for you. You want the money for you, for the kids, right? And and to be a stay-at-home mom. So that's kind of different, right? Yeah. And he also said, he's like, I don't want my kids to be, um, I guess, in need of stuff all the time. Or, and, Somebody says, yeah. should be years before that convo. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. If you want kids, like if you're a man and you want kids, it's perfectly fine to say, do you have any fertility issues? If well, first of all you ask the woman, do you want kids? And then you say, Do you have do you have any indication of, you know, high FSH or family history of infertility? Do you have any fertility issues, right? That you know of, right? Perfectly sensible mm-hmm. question. Perfectly yeah. sensible question. Because again, you've got this idea in your head that 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 it's just love and roses and and kissing and and long long walks on the beach. That's all part of it. But it's about the having and raising of children. And and if you want to have kids. It's perfectly fair to ask, do you have any you know, endometriosis if you had irregular periods? Is there any indication that you have fertility issues, right? 
Now, again, if the woman's in her 30s, that may be more more a reasonable question to ask. But it's perfectly reasonable to ask. It's perfectly reasonable. Like marriage is a very practical business. It's it's a messy um, body fluid, you know, business, yeah. and and it requires money. And that which requires money and that which requires fertility, perfectly sensible to ask about those things. Sorry, you were going to say something. I, I I cut you off. I apologize. No, it's okay. Um, no, I'm just. It, he's out of all the guys I've on, been on on a date with. I've, you know, talked to them on. You know, I went out with quite a few guys and went for coffee with them and, you know, talked to them and stuff. And usually if, you know, they just didn't jive and find out they're a liberal. And I'm like, no, can't date that. No, <laughs> or they're vegan. I can't do that either. Um, but uh, see, so he's, he's the one that I've had the most in common with and that I get along the best so far. Like I, I've already slept with this guy. Like, I don't want to do it over again with somebody else. I. How long was it before, when you first started dating, how long was it before you slept together? About two months. Right. Maybe just a little under, but uh, about two months. Six, seven weeks, eight weeks maybe. Okay, okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, um, I'm sorry. I mean, it does sound a little bit like you got played. Now, maybe you played him. I know it's only one side of the story and all of that, but it does sound a little bit like... Um, he either didn't have a desire to commit for real or he found something he didn't like and isn't being honest about it. Because if you find something you don't like, you can talk about it and see if you can work it out, right? Like maybe he says, oh, you're too much of this or, you know, you you, you don't like that or whatever it is, right? Okay, well, you can maybe work Sorry. that out. Like if, if you were like, I don't want you to smoke weed, you wouldn't break up with the guy. You'd say, listen, I can't really be the guy who smokes weed. It's not, you know, it's not really my thing. And yeah. you can have a conversation about that. But if he's just going to say, oh, I'm, it, I mean, it sounds like, honestly, it sounds like he's kind of unstable. Uh, I, I don't well, know you that well, right? And well, we talked once before, maybe you are too. But if, if he's like, oh, no, my mother, my, my aunt died uh, after having cancer. My, my aunt died. I can't possibly be in a relationship. It's like, you know, people die, right? Like, you know, well, people die, mm -hmm. they get cancer and they die. And if you, you know, if you're, if you're over 60, you're still twice the average lifespan of human beings in the past. So, you know, it's not, you know, it's like that question for Hamlet, right? Like, I mean, okay, your your father lost a father, his father lost a father. What the hell's the matter with you, right? And so mm -hmm. if, it, you know, I could understand if, if it's like, uh, I don't know, uh, uh, like Lucien Bouchard, flesh-eating disease took off my leg and now I have to figure out how to live with one leg. Okay, that's, that's a big deal, mm -hmm. right? And aunt dying again, I don't know, man. There's no reason why that wouldn't well, make you say my gosh, I've really got to commit to having a kid now because my aunt died and I've realized how short life is and I've been wasting a lot of it. I'm in my 30s. I don't, I'm, I, I'm in debt. You know, I, I've got to get my act together. I got to start smoking pot. I got to marry this wonderful woman and settle down and have a kids because my, my aunt dying just reminded me of how short life is. There's no reason why it would make him, what, have panic attacks and, and freak out and, and run screaming into the hills. That just seems odd to me. Sorry, I got to throw in one more thing here. Um, he, my friend, she went, swapped, she, she talked to him on the phone and he said some things like that. I was, um, how did she word it? She said, she's like, do you really think she's that perfect? Like she was referring to me and he's like, yes, she is. And like, she deserves somebody better and blah, blah, blah. Like, so I guess he's like, wait, your know, friend, like, your friend or the boyfriend said he deserves, no, she deserves something, someone better. Uh, my 
my boyfriend said that I deserve someone better than him. So I guess he's dealing well, with some Well, that's bullshit. Sorry. Sorry. To, excuse me. Yeah. I'm sorry to, sorry to be, be harsh. It's not towards you. But mm -hmm. you, you, don't, you don't sleep with a woman and then say, oh, she deserves better than me. It's like, no, no, you already slept with her. You're, you already said, I want kids. And, and you know that this is woman in her late 30s or mid 30s. She wants kids. Mm -hmm. You said, I want kids. Uh, I want you to be a stay-at-home mom. You're planning a future together. You sleep with her. You can't then say, oh, no, no, she's too good for me. It's like, no, 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 come on. That, that's, not, that's not right. That's not fair. That's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know yeah. I'm not perfect either. I'm sorry? I got lots of I know I'm not perfect either. Like, so it's like either it's bullshit that he's saying it and then there's something that bothered him, you know, because I went there and I was like, what, what did I do? What did I do? What the, what's going on? Because I was totally blindsided and really upset. And I was like, what did I do wrong? And he's like, it's not you. It's me. It's not you. It's me. I'm like, wait, no, really? And he wouldn't really give me much of an answer. And he just, I don't know. Shut, he was completely shut down. Like he. Well, was he high was when you saw him? Because I, no. I view these kinds of very strong emotional reactions to do with emotional instability brought on by weed, or maybe that emotional distance is brought on by dissociation through weed. I mean, maybe, maybe that's where all his money's going. Maybe he smokes a lot more than than you think, or maybe he smokes a lot stronger stuff than you think, or maybe it's more than weed. Well, he said not to come over because he doesn't have the emotional reserves right now because his aunt just passed away like the day before or something like that. Uh, yeah. Right. So he doesn't view is, you. I'm, he doesn't view you as someone who can help him process this sadness. Yeah. He views you as someone who's like it's really stressful because yours. Have you guys had a lot of fights or conflicts before this? No. No, that's the thing. We haven't even had a first fight yet. You know oh. that we we have, you know, like we get along good, we talk to each other and it's like very uh normal. And I mean this is I mean this is just for the guys out there and, and you know tell me if I'm wrong. I don't think I am, but I mean this is straight up mental torture for you because it seemed mm -hmm. to be going well. Didn't have a fight, you slept together, planning a future together. And then he just completely ghosts you and, and vanishes without any explanation, without any, I mean, this is brutal. I mean, it's brutal for yeah. anyone. I mean, particularly for you. I mean, you have a shorter fertility window than he does. Of course, he can still have kids into his 60s or 70s. Um, so this this is as, as bad as bad as a man can treat a woman is to plan a future, break up not talk about say, say anything that's wrong give her a chance to fix he didn't he said don't even come over right he didn't even want to see you after he dumped you yeah oh yeah. man that's that is so brutal and i am i am so sorry you know there, there's ways that you can end things let's say it doesn't work out or there's ways that you can end things that can be helpful to both parties you don't have to part as enemies but oh my god that is uh that is just horrendous to, to leave you tortured here with not even knowing because this is going to you know, shatter your future confidence in yourself and, and men and so on, right? Yeah, pretty much. Like, where am I going to find somebody like-minded like me? Like this is somebody like him is so rare. It's, uh, yeah. Well, so the the where can you find guys? Yeah, I mean, 
in dating, the area. Dating, you, look, I can see your picture. You're you're an attractive woman, and I I remember the call before. And so you're an attractive woman. You're an intelligent woman, and you're just going to have to say no to a whole bunch of guys. Like you just you have to say no to to a lot of guys. And you know, a guy who's 36 who can't afford a tire bill. <clears throat> I'm sorry, like you're just gonna have to say no to that. Oh, but that's a uh, maybe say that's a that's being a gold digger. It's like no, because that's an indication. It's an indication of some level of planning, of deferral of gratification, of responsibility, and you know, weed. I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of with you. Like the weed is, I just it's just it's loser lettuce. That that's all it is. Weed is just loser lettuce to me. Um, oh yeah, my mom smoked it. She's too busy smoking that to even give a shit about us girls. So it's like. Right. And then, and then of course, she'd need to put up with trashy men to get money for weed and stuff, right? Yeah. 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 I think you just have to be relentless and say, uh, red flags are red flags, man. And, you know, when it's right, you kind of feel it. And did you really feel like this is, this was going to be the guy, this is going to be the way? Uh, I don't know what that's supposed to feel like, to be honest. Well, you'll know it when you feel it. Yeah, freedomaindating.com. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, somebody says she dodged a bullet, nothing to be sad about. Okay, listen, look, if, if this is you said you think he'd be a good dad, no, he'd be a terrible dad. He'd be an absolutely terrible dad because he would detach, dissociate, and uh, here's, here's my guess is that this is what happened. My guess mm-hmm. is that this is what happened. So he had a shock, which was his aunt dying, although if she had cancer, it's not like she died out of nowhere, right? So he had a shock, he felt bad, he felt sad, and he turned to drugs, and the drugs destabilized him and made him make crazy bad decisions because he was high, right? So he he had an emotional whatever upset. And listen, if you're kind of wasting your life, and if this guy's got no savings, he's still doing weed in his 30s, he's got a good paying job, but he never saves any money, uh, I mean, that's kind of wasting your life. He's just kind of pissing his existence away, right? And so somebody dies and it gives people who are, I mean, if you've lived pretty vividly and pretty well and you've achieved things and, and taken risks and, and lived a full life, then somebody dying, it's not, it's not like, oh, well, you know, I mean, I, I've had people, my, my well, father died last year, right? And that's, you know, kind of a big deal. But Apparently his, his aunt is like a mother to him. Well, she wasn't like, a very good mother then, was she? If this, is, if this is how he treats women... Then he's not a very good. She's not a very good mother to him, right? And and this is just what he says for sympathy. And I don't. I don't usually believe these things at all. I mean, anybody who, to me, anybody who taken drugs, I just never believe anything they say. Because, but, so my guess is that what happened was, um, he his aunt died, which gave him a sense of his own mortality and gave him a sense of wasting time. He he could have processed that. He could have dealt with that, and that would have probably brought him closer to you. Like, oh my God, I got to stop screwing around. Like, why the hell am I? I'm in my 30s. I don't have any savings, and and I'm still doing weed. I mean, what the hell's the matter? Like, I gotta, I gotta get serious about life because you know I'm. He's like half done his life almost, right? Yeah. And so what happened was he had a mortality shock, right? So someone died, and that reminds him that he's gonna die. So he completely freaked out, had a panic attack, and dove into the weed, and the weed just dragged him down bad decision avenue after bad decision avenue. And then he became emotionally inaccessible to himself because weed is a form of self-medication for strong emotion. He became emotionally inaccessible to himself. He couldn't connect with you. 
And therefore, when you are on weed and somebody asks for emotional connection, it comes across as very stressful because you cannot provide them. And then if you yeah. say, well, I'm, I'm super high now because my aunt died, then you have the legitimate complaint of saying, oh, so when things are difficult in our life, you're going to just dive into weed and, and freak out and, and flake out on me. It's like, how on earth is that going to happen? Let's say our, our, you know, we're in a car accident or our kid gets sick or like, are you just going to dive into weed and leave me holding the bag and you freaking out? I got two things to manage rather than one. What are you, Jordan mm. Peterson? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Uh, it's just I'm 35 in June. And I... So, you, yeah, so my advice to you is if you're 35, you think you've got to settle. But if, you, if you're 35, you don't have time for anything but the best. That's tough because I don't know where to find the best. I, I get that. I get that. I get that. I, I understand that. But you know where you're not going to find the, the best? A, a broke a broke weed guy in his 30s. And and while you're with that guy and recovering from that guy, the other guy is not going to be around. Like this, yeah, there's none of, the, none of these guys. And you also can go to your friends and say, what the hell? You set me up with this guy? He's an emotional freak who's broken his 30. And yeah, well, you chose to date him. It's like, yes, but partly why I chose to date him was I respect you guys. And so you got to ask your friends, what the hell were you thinking? Like, do you know this guy? Yeah. Do you know how unstable he is? Do you know he just broke up with me without, we didn't even have a fight. He slept with me and suddenly he's like, oh, you're too good for me. And I now don't want kids. And I've got genetic issues. Like, oh Lord, he's he's like, you know, like Catherine Zeta-Jones on a cocaine binge as far as emotional stability goes. My God, right? So, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things here, but but wherever the, the the good guy is he ain't anywhere near this guy and he you know your friends have really pointed you in the wrong direction and you might have some serious words for them about this because uh <laughs> they either don't know him or don't know you or both or they do and they want to sabotage you i don't know right but no, i don't think so no uh, she said well you know just introduce the two of them if he works out you know because they we both he said he wanted the same things and she wanted, I wanted the same things. She's like, oh, maybe they would go together. And, you know, and he kept asking about me, hey, what about your roofer friend? What about your roofer friend? Because I'm a roofer. The roofer friend? I'm a roofer. Oh, you're a roofer? I, yeah. Okay. Sorry. I thought you said roofie to be like, roofie friend. <laughs> no, 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 that's not good. Roofie friend. No, no. no I'm a uh, people say, is he white or black? I don't think that matters. Um, how tall He's is he? White. He's white. Yeah, tall. How tall is he? Was he tall? He's six foot. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I don't really care about him so much. Was, yeah. was he good looking? Uh, well, he's he's kind of chubby. Um, I wasn't attracted to him up front. I was like, you know, I was thinking about it. You know, I wasn't. He's not a bad looking guy, but he is he is heavy, and he was working on his weight. And I was like, okay, so he's working on his weight. He's you know trying to improve himself. I'm like, that's good because you know. I don't like people that sit stagnant and so, don't want to improve themselves. Chubby, broke guy who smokes weed. <laughs> yeah, but he was also really sweet and cooked food for me. Chubby, like, broke guy who smokes weed. <laughs> well, if you're going to put it like that. Chubby, like, broke guy <laughs> who smokes weed. I guess I'm old enough to be your dad. You know, listen, I'm yeah, telling you, you my, my daughter brings home a chubby, broke guy in his 30s who smokes weed. What am I going to say? Yeah, no. Yeah, I know. 
Yeah, I'm sure you'd tell her nope. <laughs> Not a good idea. Well, I can't tell her nope. She's an adult, but I'll say chubby broke guy who smokes weed. Yeah. Well, I'm also 35. No, no, but that doesn't home. look. That doesn't mean that. That means you got to aim higher because you have less time. Right. You 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 can't settle. Like, it's, let's say you're 22. Okay, well, you know, you might date some haughty guy for whatever, right? You know, it's not going to be that serious. You, okay, you got, you know, a long time, right? But at 35, you 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 absolutely can't settle because you don't you don't have the time to recover, right? To to waste time and recover. Yeah, I know. I don't know how long it's going to take me to recover from this. Well, I think that the commitment has to be: I'm not going to settle. I'm not going to. I'm not going to say, well, I'm worth less because I'm 35. I guess. Boy, that's um, that's about the least convincing statement I've heard on this show in a while. I guess, right? No, I, listen. Know, I hear about it all the time. They hit the wall. They're, you know, nobody's going to write a check against that. And like well, okay. So, it. yeah, look, I, I get all of that, but but you're very intelligent. You pursue self knowledge. You you have a you have a job. You want to be a stay at home mom. You have good values. You you know, you're into philosophy. I mean, that that's that's going to make up for a lot. I, I met, my wife was 34, I think, when we met. Yeah? Yeah. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. No, we, we met, uh, I'm, I'm a year older. She's, she's 34. I was 35 when we met. Wow. And, you know, I, was, I did pretty well in my career as a software guy. I had a nice car and living in a hip section of town. I wasn't short on dates. And she was like 34. And I'm like, boom, we're done. Like 11 months we're married and working on kids. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, that makes it more hopeful for me then. Yeah, you, you settle yourself into nothingness. Um, just you know, I get, I don't want. I don't want. To, I mean, I've talked about oh, past the wall and this kind of stuff for sure, absolutely. But, 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 the mm -hmm. point is that you have so much going for you that you can still ask for more. That's the thing. I didn't even, I didn't ride the carousel like everybody likes to say. You know, I was with a relationship with each of these people, and you know, but I, I don't know. It's like you also said earlier about you know the tape just gets less and less sticky as you go on, and it's like it, it's, it's I don't know. It got it was pretty sticky with this guy, obviously, but still, like it just keeps. I'm afraid to be optimistic and happy when I'm right. in a relationship. It's just starting now because it's like, when is it going to end? Right, right. And, and, and also without knowing, right? And, and you just get paralyzed, right? And, and I yeah. hate to say, well, you just got to overcome that fear. Like you could just snap your fingers and do it. But nonetheless, I mean, you, you got you to gotta sail forth like your heart has never been broken. Because it's not, it's not the next boyfriend's fault that the last boyfriend lied to you, if, if that's what he did. It sounds like he did, right? Yeah, and I always do try to, like, just put everything behind me and be like, okay, like, this guy's, you know, can't assume he's going to be the same as the other guys, but it's like, I don't know. When it ends up in, in the end, then it's it's very difficult. All right, can you do me a favor? Yeah, sure. The next time you meet a guy, will you give me a call? Okay, I can do that. Let's do that. You know, let let uh, let me handle it. Okay. 
<laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me run interference for it. No, I mean, you're a lovely lady and you've got a huge amount to offer and you'd be a great mom and, you know, you're sensitive, you're in touch with your emotions. I think it's absolutely wonderful. So, um, I, you know, I want you to get what you want and be happy and, and have a great family and all of that. So, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Give, give me a call. Uh, get get the facts. Give me a call, and okay. uh, we'll we'll put him through the ringer. I mean, if he wants to call too, fantastic. You know, we'll cross examine him because this is what dads. You know, I'm not your dad, obviously, but it's what dads used to do. Like, what are your intentions? Use, What's your income? That, like, dad. You, your dad. Your dad used to be able to used to be the one asking these questions, right? What are your intentions? Yeah. What's your income? What's your job history? Do you drink? Right? The dads would be all interrogating, and it's tough for the the daughters to do it. But you know, I can take that role, uh, uh, and happy mm-hmm. to do so. So yeah, let's let's vet the next guy. Well, thank you. All right. Yeah, because I never had a dad that did that. So. All right. Well, you don't have a dad that does it now, but I'll step in uh, as, <laughs> okay. as best I can. And uh, we'll make sure that uh, we guide your heart and uh, we get we get the guy. Okay. Thank you very much, Stephen. All right. Will you keep me posted? And I'm sorry, it's not, it's not, it doesn't sound like it's your bad. It sounds like he uh, is a bit of an addict, uh, freaked out, took too many drugs, and he may regret it. In which case, maybe he'll come crawling back and you can say, uh, you can never touch drugs again. You know, the, the lips that touch wine will never touch mine. The lips that trucks weed uh, don't get my steed. I don't know what it's some writing thing. So. <laughs> Yeah, okay. just just keep me posted. I'm I'm very sorry that this happened. I appreciate you calling in, and uh, it sounds like you've got some friends in the chat. If you want to stay and chat afterwards, uh, I will leave this uh, this chat running, uh, if you want, uh, after okay. so you guys can chat. But uh, I myself, uh, it's been almost three hours. I'm gonna close things off. But uh, yeah, thanks everyone so much oh. for oh, dropping okay. by this uh, evening. A great pleasure to chat with y'all and uh, have a great, great night. Uh, Don't forget to check out my free novel, freedomain.com forward slash almost. It's a wonderful, wonderful book. I think it will do the world of good for you in terms of your relationships and your understanding of the world. And uh, freedomainnft.com, freedomainnft. You can check out my NFT that's for sale at the moment. Uh, Own a piece of philosophical history. It's good stuff. And uh, take care, guys. Bye. Talk to you soon. Lots of love. All right. Thank you very much.